0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Reality Quest. This week is unique because we are actually recording from a local business here in Seattle. We're trying to support Cafe Ladro in light of recent events with coronavirus and all of the crazy insanity that's mm-hmm. been going on here and around the world. So Jay
1: and I went on an expedition this morning to a bunch of places trying to decide where we would record to prove that Seattle was still alive. <laughs>
0: Everybody's so, still kicking. Over we here. went to
1: KEXP, and then we thought, well, this is kind of weird. We might get in trouble for the music that they're playing in the background because th- that's a popular Seattle spot, but it's actually a radio station. Yeah. And then we went to a few other places, <laughs> and it was just like kind of Goldilocksy. It was either too loud, too quiet. Uh, there weren't <laughs> plugs where we could plug in. And so but we can confirm that there are people out there and people are out in the shops and yeah, enjoying yeah. life.
0: I feel like we just needed to to get in touch a little bit with the local area a bit. Yeah. In you know, just because of everything that's been happening. So
1: Yeah, on a serious note, it's definitely obviously this has been a big problem in Seattle, the coronavirus fight. And there is... are becoming a
0: big one everywhere else in the U.S.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely impacting our local shops, the service industry. I've been visiting some restaurants and talking with the people who work there Mm -hmm. and places like the International District for lots of obvious reasons, which are a big problem. And so if you are at low risk, uh, I know that they're trying to encourage social distancing, but if you can find a way to go out and support... local business or even if you can talk to them and find a way just to to help them. I mean, somebody the other day I saw they were dropping off. uh, It was Grand Central Bakery. That's a spot in Seattle. And they always, they they provide bread to, uh, it was Cafe Press. Mm -hmm. And I was there and they had somebody from that shop stopped off and gave them extra pastries for everyone there. So there's lots of different ways you can support, even if that's not putting yourself at risk. Uh, And so we highly encourage that. And that's what we're trying to showcase right now. Yeah. Plus, it's not too bad. You get to enjoy some coffee. Yesterday, I did my civil duty and ate some donuts at General Porpoise. Yeah, get out of the house for
0: a little bit. Everyone's (laughs) been going stir crazy. Right. But I think for me, it's it's key that... Going to visit these places locally, but not going to go and visit my grandparents right afterwards.
2: <laughs> yes. Good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because,
0: you know, we want to uh, protect one another and really just keep everyone as healthy as possible and really slow down right. the growth of this whole this whole outbreak. So. Right.
1: Especially for the hospitals, because I think they're being hit pretty hard. Yeah. And actually, the other night I couldn't sleep because mm. I was thinking about how I keep hearing firsthand that hospitals are running out of supplies. Mm. So there are people I know who work in ER, ERs and there's just various people i, ha- I have I'm friends with or I have like know through somebody else who are first-hand experiencing from working in the local hospitals what is going on. And it ain't pretty.
2: <laughs> it, <laughs> ain't it ain't pretty. pretty.
1: So <laughs> this is horrifying but they're already run out, running out of hand sanitizers. Masks. Yeah. masks right. And so there's lots of different reasons why this is happening. A large reason, probably the biggest reason, is, reason is actually not the hoarding. It's yeah. the that they can't get the shipping from where they get these supplies.
0: Yeah, I mean, hospitals and, and our whole medical infrastructure is basically always operating around 95% capacity. Yeah. Just from the normal influx of different kinds of problems that they have to deal with. So something like this, an outbreak, really strains it to the breaking point pretty yeah. quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think what doesn't help is that then, yeah, they're not used to having this, or they're not ready to have this problem of no shipping to them for the supplies. And Mm. then if they're running out, well, then they might go to local stores to get supplies because they're not getting the shippings. And then all the local stores are out because of people going crazy uh, and thinking it's the apocalypse. So. Just to be clear, and like lots of my my, fa- my mom is a nurse practitioner, my sister is a nurse practitioner, I have mm-hmm. friends. So masks are in limited supply. And yeah. those masks should be given to the people who need it most. The people who need it most are the people working in hospitals and medical facilities mm-hmm. who are going face to face with people who are sick. Um, because it will be protecting like the viruses spread through little droplets from sneezing or coughing. Mm-hmm. And so if you're like an individual who's just walking around trying to protect yourself in the open air, it's I mean, really that's honestly just stupid. Helping you. Right. All. It's not, I don't want to say it's stupid. I did.
0: (laughs) Can't take it back now. It's Moving on. No, I mean, well, it it is not, it's not helping you and it's not helping the other people that actually need them far more. Right. Um, Really. That's the point is the priority should be around people that are, that are taking care of others who are at risk population. Right. For the outbreak.
1: And this is, somebody said the other day that this is good practice for an actual apocalyptic problem and it it's true it's showing us how do you communicate with your with your community how do you work yeah. together or do you just end up going to the store and buying everything off the shelves and not thinking about what you can do to right. help local hospitals or to help other areas in need yeah. and so the point is obviously so it's funny because i talked with my mom and my sister and my mom totally shut me down on this but whatever i'll explain so <laughs> i thought i couldn't i couldn't sleep one night and i thought I've been watching the Hillary Clinton documentary on Hulu also recently, oh. which just really inspired me because she... It, it's like anytime you're watching somebody who actually steps up and tries to help their community in some way or tries to stand up for a cause, and somebody who's worked in that their whole life, Yeah. after watching that and hearing all these things about the hospitals, I'm like, i what am I going to do? Just stand here and not do anything? Right. So I thought, well, there's got to be a way... like. Microsoft and Amazon, all these big companies, they sent everyone home. Mm-hmm. They must have hand sanitizer in their buildings everywhere, right? Yeah. And so, couldn't we somehow collect a bunch of hand sanitizers? I know that it's not going to make a dent because what these hospitals need is it's is a, a, pain a pain lot pain. more. Right. But I don't know. Do we then not do anything because of that, or could we help one hospital one day, one is person there, by there, doing a drive to collect? hand sanitizers and any masks that people have access to Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I mean, isn't there anything we can do? And so then I went on Twitter, which everyone who listens knows I'm working on my social media presence. And so I like tried to create a Google sheet where people could list what they knew about which hospitals were actually in need. Um, So you could just list like, I know that this hospital said they ran out because some are going to be more impacted than others. This is what they need. Is it hand sanitizer? Is it masks? Is it something else I'm not aware of? And then uh, and then have a contact there. And then you understand who's in need of what supplies. Then the next step is, who has access to supplies? Can we work with these bigger companies? Can we find individuals who are willing to donate the same you would? Like, Can they step back and realize, hey, I probably don't need these plastic gloves or these masks. I freaked out and I bought them. Right. Uh, or they know someone, I don't know, is there any way we can like, work together? Somehow
0: make it apparent to people. Uh, give them a conduit or a way to actually rethink what they stocked up on and if they have extra that they can spare for Right, like I'm sure that a lot of people didn't
1: know when they were stocking up that they were literally that there would be a problem with hospitals not having yeah. it. People well, aren't it's, thinking that
0: way. This whole situation is unprecedented for basically any most people that are alive right now. I don't know that there is really any population that's still around that has gone through a major pandemic at least in the American populace. Yeah, um, There have been outbreaks in other parts of the world of course and there's been the threat of outbreaks here in, in past decades uh, but there really hasn't been anything on this kind of scale in the United States for this long. So people, yeah. the only thing they know how to deal with is a hurricane or an earthquake, and like that kind of short-term uh, like disaster preparedness, where the infrastructure fundamentally goes down for a little bit, right? And you're like, I'm going to go stock up on toilet paper. And I'm going to go get as much, uh, like, pallets of water and whatever as possible because I'm going to outlast this situation because it'll only be maybe a couple weeks at worst. Maybe something like Katrina, Mm -hmm. where uh, for months, you know, there is a situation. But uh, usually it's something that is much shorter term. And so people reacted to this in the same way that they react to, like, a hurricane coming into town. And it's not the same at all in the way that it actually goes through a population. It's not a. It's not a short-term, mm. it'll hit, and then in a week or two, it's gone, and you can just live off your supplies at home. Mm, yeah. So it's like that kind of reaction just is not necessarily the best way to go about it, but mm-hmm. we also had, there's no precedence for people to behave in way. People don't know what to do, Yeah, and yeah. they
1: don't know what to expect. And it is, I will say, when you go into the grocery stores and things are out of stock, it does... it makes you panic whether yeah, or not you're like even oh most, god i need to go stock exactly up. there is something in our little human lizard <laughs> brains <laughs> the,
0: the the um uh oh my gosh why am i blanking on this
1: what pyramid uh, 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 oh the, um, the maslow's hierarchy, maslow's hierarchy. Needs. yes <laughs> yeah well it's funny so i was in i was in the grocery store i was in trader joe's and things are going out of stock this was i think last week and I panic, but I panic in <laughs> the weirdest way. So I got about seven different types of dip, okay? And it's like... You're
0: like, I need all the guacamole. I need all
1: the dips. I need this type of hummus. I need that type of hummus. I need the chocolate hummus. I got every type chocolate of dip. Chocolate hummus? There's chocolate hummus. That sounds... is the thing. You can... It sounds gross, but it's actually good. You can, like, dip strawberries in it, and it's probably better for you, but has that kind I'm of I'm skeptical,
0: but I'll try, I'll try it. try it. Yeah.
1: So I got everything and of course that makes no sense it's not non-perishable so i just had like a total panic attack in a weird way uh but yeah i i get it i mean i'm not blaming anyone in one direction or the other i think Mm -hmm. it makes sense why people are afraid and they're panicking i think that but all of this to say uh i think that there are ways we should try and help or at least communicate about it so now my mom was all like shutting me down and <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Sorry, mom. But she did. I got so You're mad. Give her I was shit like, on I them. just want to be like Hillary Clinton. She was like, "Kelly, sorry, but like just stop freaking out. Just wait a couple weeks. Like, right. you know, things shipments will come in and things will catch up." Things will yeah. catch up. Granted, not, she's on the East Coast, okay? She's on the East it Coast. Hasn't she's, that it yet. hasn't hit hard yet. So, and she's also trained. That's just her personality. Right. But I'm still like I I'm curious about if there are ways to help. Um, And so if anybody's interested in that effort, uh, I will keep it going and you can go to my, so on my Twitter, it's fire lady at fire lady forever. And I made a post, a, a thread, if you will, uh, <laughs> my first thread, and just talking about that. And uh, I created that spreadsheet. I'm sure nobody's entered anything yet. But you know what? I'm going to keep it open. Whatever. If somebody <laughs> goes there, you know, it, we could get one hand sanitizer for one PR. <laughs> and you know what? Little by little, we'll all make a difference You got to start
0: somewhere. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I'm just trying to you know stay positive about that stuff. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, okay, you know, I well, think we've figured out we are going to be breaking this episode into two parts. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so More to, for optics yeah, than anything yeah, else. It really is. So that like, it's not just an we intimidating We put like,
1: a 4-hour episode will people just get sticker shocked? People,
0: people are just going to be like morally offended if yeah, they
1: are like I could read a whole <laughs> listen to a whole audiobook, but if we split it into two, it's kind of like that yeah, pricing at 99 cents. Two episodes for the cents. price of one. Yeah. You guys won't even know that we're doing it it's to you. It's a discount.
0: <laughs> yeah. Half off. <laughs> You're getting two episodes for Um,
1: one. Oh, but so, okay, so this episode, Jay and I. It's unique. Yeah, it is unique unique. because um, this is the first and only time so far that we have had two guests on and two guests who didn't previously know each other. So it's not like a duo who work together. Mm -hmm. We decided to just bring, to experiment with the idea of bringing. Uh, two separate people on together and see what that conversation could turn into.
0: Yeah, we'd been talking about this for months and kind of thinking about how could we go about it? Like, how would we kind of still, how would we still kind of keep things reined in and and have some sort of direction to the conversation? But uh, it was an interesting experiment, and I think we're going to do more of this, too. We should probably introduce the two okay, of them, yeah. right? yeah. So
1: uh, one of our guests is Miko Charbonow. So she is primarily a game designer, though she wears many hats. Um, she's also a producer. She's a writer. She does so many things, but primarily a game designer. And uh, she, like many others on our show, was part of the HoloLens team. I feel like we just have a bunch of... Yeah, we've been well, really think, circ- making you know, rounds they, there. It's because HoloLens... It makes sense that there, that was one of the biggest... Initial XR projects, and so yeah. all of the people who are going to be leaders or movers and shakers in this industry are going to have come from something like At some a point, project. They intersected yeah, there's going to be like yeah, all of this. Yeah. It's like the birth of the origin <laughs> story
0: of XR. <laughs> it's like it's either that or they came from like the Oculus side of things, right? Early days too.
1: Totally. Uh, so she was on the Hololens team, and she also later worked on Minecraft for Microsoft. Hmm. And um, she's currently a game designer at VR game company Drifter. Uh, and they also recently came out with a new VR game. So we'll talk more about that in the outro. Yep. And on top of that and many other things, I mean, Jay already mentioned that she has a Twitch stream where she both does UX design. Like she works in Unity, (laughs) she works in Unreal, and she also does some random cooking on there.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, But she also runs her own game studio, which is called Pretty Smart Games. And again, we'll give you all the info in the outro and also links uh, on our website. Uh, but just in general, she's a super powerful storyteller. She really creates her, especially her her own games from Pretty Smart. They are games of very deep meaning. And uh, she'll get into some deep, of that. Deep feels. Deep feels, for <laughs> sure. And personally, she's inspired me a lot to create meaningful experiences. And uh, because she has such an interesting background and story where she was kind of discouraged along the way uh, to get into games and she's definitely takes a very different approach uh, in her story to her mix of storytelling and games. She just threw everything she's done in her history and how far she's made it. She's personally inspired me to find my own unique voice in the game industry and I think a lot of people should be interested in following her and what she does. She's already done some great things and I think she's just going to continue to blow people's minds and really just blaze a new path in the game slash storytelling slash XR industry.
0: So the other guest that we brought on was Mike Hines. Uh, he's currently the art director for Oculus, uh, which is no. now... art lead. Art lead. You said art director. Oh so, gosh, I literally have it written down and I read it incorrectly. He's an art lead at Sorry, Oculus. <laughs> Um, so I want to I want to quote him directly because I really like this uh, he's basically the way that he describes what he does is my own work focuses on philosophical and sociological themes with a common thread of humanity's relationship with nature um, I would consider this to be very true given the art of his that I've seen at his own house mm. um, and just all of the different things that he tends to value and and dig into um, and his personality he also has a personal game studio which is sparklight Studios. He was a technical art director at Hairbrain Schemes prior to being at Oculus. They've made some really interesting games in the past, a couple of which I've actually enjoyed myself. Uh, Battletech was one, Shadow Run, which is a whole series of different games over the years, and then Necropolis. Uh, that game had a couple different iterations that came out on Steam. at PC-focused, but it's like a weird sort of multi-level, procedurally generated dungeon crawler kind of thing. Um, you can also find his art on Imprint. Uh, Imprint uh, Satchi Art, I think, and then Tumblr as well under Mike Hines. Mm -hmm. So if you want to look up any of the work that he's done. Um, In general, Mike is just a really active sort of community volunteer. He does a lot of, he makes a lot of efforts to sort of bring people together from diverse backgrounds and really encourage them to open up their sort of creative energies and discover the sort of inner artist that we all might have if only we were to allow it to come out. Mm -hmm. But Mike is amazing, become really good friends with him thus far, uh, ever since we recorded this episode many months ago. Mm-hmm. So. And
1: actually, speaking of that being many months ago, it's crazy to think, so Jay and I, as we mentioned before, we did a bunch of recordings at the onset of when we started this. And we and bulked
0: them up at the very beginning. Right, and now we've like
1: <laughs> slowly been releasing them, oh, and it's crazy to think that this recording happened right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh,
0: that's, six, that's literally six months ago now.
1: Yeah. So we're actually... <laughs> we're coming up on it. We're coming up on... This is, I think, the last of all of our bulk episodes recorded. Yeah. And so we'll be doing a Thoughts on Thoughts next, meaning after we release these two in like two weeks, we'll do a Thoughts on Thoughts and talk about some upcoming things, and we're going to be getting some fresh recordings. But...
0: Everything going forward is going to be more present now. It's right. like the, the Kelly and Jay's brains that have developed over time through all of these conversations and our sort of views and the way we talk about things has changed and become more refined in this domain and so we can we can stop worrying about all these old conversations that we were having at the beginning Um, they're all amazing in their own right but it it is as a creator of this content it's always a weird uh a weird feeling to jump back in time and dig back through an old conversation that you've then Hashed out all those different ideas and talked about them and developed them more in your mind.
1: Yeah, I think it's just that it's not that anything grows stale. It's that you and I no. feel like we've learned so much since then. It's not. Yeah, it's that not stale the conversation right now with them might be slightly different. But what's interesting about this episode is in our last thoughts on thoughts, we started getting into the use of describing VR as uh, empathetic and and we get into that in this episode right. so it's like this weird like jump backwards but also somehow it ends up like it was very by total to... you know accident <laughs> uh, or coincidence it happens to be talking about some recent themes that we were trying to talk through together
0: right I think it'll actually be really useful to have started that topic in the previous thoughts on thoughts then introduce everything that came up in this set of conversations with Nico and Mike And then reflect on that in the next episode that we do. Yes. Because it will be coming full circle. Yes. And then taking everything forward with us. So I am really looking forward to that.
1: This episode is fun. It's inspiring. It's educational. It's a
0: milestone for us as well.
1: Yeah. 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 Because of that experiment. And um, we're really excited for for you guys to listen. Uh, So enjoy the episode and we'll catch you on the other end.
3: There's a show called Evil
0: evil it's oh, on tv
3: right that. okay it's really good actually. there is there is a ar moment in that oh. and my mom explained it to me and I, I was like there's no way that's what's in the tv show but it was so. it is really there's know a, what I'm talking a about, whole right? sequence on AR yeah stuff. with the four girls yeah. and
4: yeah. yeah what the kids are playing an ar game and it, it's it yeah. turns into this creepy demonic it's, weird stuff it's oh, wild geez. but it yeah. actually is not a bad representation it's just more advanced I, than yeah we I, do right that's now, what i was gonna
3: say it's more advanced than what's than what is possible right now
4: but it is conceptually what people want to do. But
3: here it. Yeah.
0: Can you de- try to describe like what was happening? It's like or- a,
3: it's a horror. Simu- like uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I feel like I can't explain what Why without explaining my mom and how boring she can make anything sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is like an ongoing thing. No offense, Mom. Yeah. No, she knows. <laughs> she knows. But uh basically there's four daughters. Okay. The thing I couldn't get over is that their dad is supposedly a guide on Mount Everest, and that's why oh. he's not there. And I was like, no, go back to that part. I don't what? understand.
4: I thought that was going to be a weird yeah, subplot that, that wasn't real. I thought it was going to be like somebody <laughs> yeah, everyone's I'm imagining it or something. I'm
3: honestly not caught up, but I'm probably going to keep watching to find out if it's if the dad is really. Yeah, if on he Mount ever Everest. comes back from Mount Everest. Uh, but basically they get the the headsets and um they accidentally play a horror game, but hearing my mom okay. try to explain the AR <laughs> that she oh, saw geez. in this like uh, mainstream <laughs> there television were spiders show, there, Yeah, <laughs> there was a zombie. There's spider. There was a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: It's, I mean, it's, uh, honestly, it's a pretty, it's, I mean, the problem is it's like everything where they try to make it into something that's even scarier than it actually can be. Yeah. Where they turn it into something that's outside and supernatural and those kind of things. I
1: don't know, man. We were just reading an article. Jay, you shared Ugh. this one with me of this yes. guy yep. who, I'm hoping in this current moment that I'm not repeating something I already said on a different episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm like having that date up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but whatever. Yeah, There's it's okay. this episode, uh, no, fuck. There's this,
3: <laughs> this is where... <weird. laughs> <laughs> the one Jake thing did not work out.
1: <laughs> so um, there's this uh, article that was talking about this guy who worked on paranormal AR game experience. Uh-huh. And Ooh. I mean, bottom line is he fucked his own head up so much by how much he scared himself. In having to test his own game well I mean, he was
0: he was really obsessed with crafting this sort of game experience that was just full immersion, and he he took every single opportunity to take advantage of like the phone because it was a, a mobile based game um, and the fact that you have like you have a flashlight on the front and a camera that you can use, so he forced the person to put on earbuds or headphones of some sort so that you have like a full audi- audible sort of scene around you. Um, and take advantage of the stereo um, like pan on that. And then he also made you use the flashlight on the front of your phone and had you turn off the lights. You could not play the game without doing that. So that then you were experiencing the game with these photos, like real photos that are imposed onto the environment in front of you in the dark, huh. and you're just able to see where your light.
3: That's really clever.
0: It's yeah. actually
4: yeah. similar to what they're doing in that show, too. They, they, that's one of the first things they put it on, and they're like, turn off the lights. Oh. Go down, like, yeah. go down the hole. Yeah. Like they map it onto the yeah. environment. So.
0: And, and then he, you're like, you're holding a camcorder trying to explore this haunted house, yeah. essentially. Right. Yeah.
1: But this guy made himself literally sick. Yeah. He got ho- hospitalized because of yeah. this experience. Well, so. He
0: was having to develop it for like months and right, months. Right.
1: And test. Yeah. And he wanted it to be super realistic. Yeah. Which uh, went into the like a uh, valley beyond the uncanny. Valley, yeah. Which was, is just like, you can make it so realistic that it's it's too real. And it then, was, like, what can that do with our brains? So. It was
0: the, I think the article title was There is a Valley Beyond the or There is a Second Uncanny Valley Beyond the First. And it's that basically you craft an experience that is so convincing and compelling that you can't voluntarily or intentionally Convince yourself it's not real, yeah. Or at least you can't stop yourself from being react scared to it. and, reacting and to it. react and internally reacting
4: to it in particular. Right.
3: Yeah, that, that actually is one of my concerns with VR in general. Is like it is so easy to produce such a strong emotion. Yeah. And we're, we're if we use all the same tools that we've had in screens, mm-hmm. then we are going to do things that are way too intense. And yeah. unfortunately. Some of the very first things we've done are roller coasters.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: Not exactly. I like, I like, like walking on a plank like... off of a building. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I was yeah. literally just going to bring up a roller coaster experience. So I was at a conference in LA and they had those platforms where you can kind of rock up and down and side to side so you can feel like you're on a roller coaster while you're watching the experience. And I put that on. It's like, I'm in the industry i'm familiar with what it can do to your brain i understand like what i'm getting myself into into. (laughs) Uh, no no not matter i put that thing on um, the person who was like monitoring the experience (laughs) you know these like volunteer low-paid hosts i'm sure who are just like (laughs) like don't realize what they're about to get themselves into with putting me in this experience and mike was standing there not you mike my Mm -hmm, mike and like i i rocked down and and they bring you up on this super tall. Of course, they make the roller coaster taller than you would probably ever have in real life oh, yeah. because they can. Why not? Yeah. yeah. And just then I started the going down and literally just like started screaming my
2: <laughs> brains
1: out in the middle of this conference. And I looked. Mike said that the look on my face was such pure. Fear that the woman <laughs> running the thing was like, "Oh my god!" Like she didn't know what to do,
4: yeah. and I oh.
1: couldn't get out of my head to just be like, "Just close your eyes, just yeah. close your yeah. eyes." And I yeah. just ended up ripping the headset off and like throwing it across the room. That
4: sounds very similar to the video you posted where you were yeah, um, playing the horror game. Oh yeah, yeah, same oh, exact elevator thing. Game. Crawl yeah. on the yep. ground, the and, like, grab yeah. Leg. yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point that you bring
0: up, Miko, uh, about the just the fact that we've gotten used to all of these patterns developing for regular video games, at least any medium that is framed. So there's a limit to the amount of your perception that it can kind of take hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're using those same more potent and kind of condensed methods and then just ported them directly into a fully immersive environment. Mm-hmm. And that is very risky. <laughs> and, um, yeah,
3: I think that I, I want people to really care a lot about what they put out there when we're talking about yeah. the whole XR experience. Yeah. But of course, you know, there's not like a police force that's mm-hmm. going to come get you and be <laughs> like, XR you made your police. horror game too intense and five-year-olds <laughs> are playing it. Mm-hmm. Like there's, yeah. you know, I Neither mean.
0: Maybe there
1: should be though. <laughs> I mean, there's,
4: there's the, there are the comfort ratings and things like that, but it's is just that, not nearly as yeah. elaborate as it should be considering to it. Would what these be like to yeah.
0: it. the VR troopers?
4: Oh, no. That's a miss. That's a miss. Yes, exactly. Come on, Kelly. Come on. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I'm the guest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I knew it
1: was a reference to an earlier episode. (laughs) I just wasn't connecting the dots. I was like, what about them?
3: (laughs) Um, They're already real.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: We just need the VR troopers to come and police content for VR. Yeah.
1: I wonder with the. with the ratings for movies and all of that? Like, did they go through the same thing where they had to be like, what if somebody makes a horror film that's too scary for people? And like, what is the control around that? Is it just like social taste where people don't because people could make scarier things yeah and they probably do actually i don't (laughs) watch
0: people definitely do make a variety i don't
1: watch a lot of horror so (laughs) i
0: watch
3: a lot of horror okay Okay. i actually actually don't know much of ratings but i always kind of assumed it was very political
0: it was extremely political yeah yeah it's very like hollywood money driven as well just the The kind of content Mm -hmm. it's it's shifted a lot too over time I mean, like, even back in, like, the 80s, I remember they were, I mean, I wasn't alive in the 80s, but Mm -hmm. I remember seeing movies that came out during the
3: time. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, Let's continue.
0: (laughs) Moving on from that. (laughs) I I remember some very specific examples of movies um, where there was particular content in there that is no longer acceptable for, like, PG-13. Oh, interesting. Whereas there are other aspects of content that have become more prevalent at different levels, like... violence versus nudity Mm -hmm. um i think some nudity was a little bit more acceptable in pg-13 back then um but not as much violence, and today I think violence has kind of shifted to allow a little bit more flexibility.
4: Because mm, we're a totally backward society. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, don't none of that sex stuff. But you can have all the violence you want. Yeah,
2: for sure.
4: What? Why do we have problems? I wonder.
3: Right. <laughs> I, I think there's been more than a few horror movie uh, marketing campaigns that have been like too scary to be rated, or or like people are passing out in the. Whoa! In the they like <gasps> to auditorium. promote it that way. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I, no and, uh, and, and like you know that for the appeal yes yeah that mm. might just be like one accidentally epileptic shot <laughs> you yeah. know but they'll <laughs> say it as if yeah, like, old ladies are just falling down in the aisles <laughs>
4: yeah. you oh know God. yeah oh that's God. a selling um, point though they're yeah, using yeah, yeah, it as a marketing tool yeah um
3: yeah and i think there definitely are like i think with um horror there's like everybody kind of has their things that yep. they are, are too far for them mm-hmm. even if you like if you even if you like the idea Getting- you might push to the edge a little yeah, bit yeah there comfort. may be things where like you have a line you can't yep. cross right like yeah. i used to like body horror torture stuff more oh. when i was younger yeah but, like, uh, but then you get
4: to a point where you're like wait there's some yeah. really uncool stuff here and, yeah. and
3: that point was human centipede oh yeah right? oh. When that, movie that came doesn't out. pretty I was much like, anyone
4: i didn't watch it because i knew what it was i didn't watch it
3: yeah i didn't watch it I, I accidentally
0: <laughs> was like, watched oh, nice. it
2: did.
3: oh no yeah i
0: would
1: never watch so there's
3: definitely movies that like really extreme horror fans um yeah. considered sort to of be like, oh, like if you haven't seen like martyrs and stuff, then you don't really know like what right. is really intense. But I think that's really a personal choice everybody yeah. has to make. Yeah. Um
1: but in the case of movies, somebody is choosing whether or not to release something, right? Because if it's going through a typical production company, they're aligning it with their brand. And then they have to go through Getting it actually accepted into theaters or getting accepted into festivals yeah. and promoted that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we have obviously like uh, web series or direct online. So I guess people don't need to do it that way. But even then, you might be going through like I guess it, in that case, it just comes down to like what your fans like. Right. But yeah. I guess it is an interesting concept where like with with games. It doesn't really go through that process, right? Like there's historically with games, it just you just like end up getting it approved. But well,
4: there's a, ra- I mean, there is a rating. Yeah, you know, okay. there's the whole rating system yep. for the what I can't remember the name of it now. But there's a rating system for games. It's yeah. similar S- to S- movies. Uh, yeah, ESRB. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Right. and then ESRB. different ESRB. electronic something Rated. rating board yeah. for mature.
3: Different yeah. stores. <laughs> like if you're um, if you're a mobile game and you're putting in like the Google Play Store or the mm-hmm. you know Apple Store, they'll have guidelines. Especially it's about, like, if you think people, if you think children are going to play. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of um, updates in that regard. So mm-hmm. they'll ask you they'll, to update all your apps or all your games and mm-hmm. say, like, are you marketing this mm-hmm. to children? And if so, there's more rigorous things you have to go through. Okay. But I think you're, it's still, like, if you're publishing it yourself, mm-hmm. then you, you decide that, you right? You like, whatever you want. And I yeah. think for a game, there's so much longer yeah. Um, in a movie, theoretically, somebody could take a couple hours, but is everyone going to spend eighty hours like <laughs> reviewing? Like you it can't you can't to, yeah. spend
0: weeks or months at a time yeah. spending hours and hours in that world. Yeah.
1: Like
3: you mean? Well, to you mean it. for approving?
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Like for approving it, it yeah. experiencing I, it as putting well. Putting
3: an I mean, Easter egg in. Right. Putting in something yeah. on a a secret path. Oh, yeah. very that could true. Be very common. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, there was that story of the VR game where it brought you through a school shooting. Does yeah. anyone remember this? It or- was pretty
4: recent. They, uh, yeah. I mean, they basically made a game that was about a school shooting. and
1: But you had to shoot the children.
4: Um, I don't know what the actual game experience was. I know that like it very quickly mechanic. got called out, and there was a lot of brouhaha about it, and I think it got... I think it got pulled from the stores that it was on.
1: Well, that's what I'm getting at is yeah. I don't actually remember what happened with it. I knew there was a lot of brouhaha about yeah. it, but now I'm curious what actually happened with it because that makes me think of like, okay, what is the process for those types of things? There's yeah. obviously totally, something there. Like
4: all of the marketplaces, are all they yeah. are all products in themselves yep. like mm-hmm. they and they care about their public image and they their have, press. They have so beyond which. Ultimately, if they get enough pressure from any source, mm-hmm. they're going to end up just dropping you from their store and then it's just hard for people to get access. To your product, so right. that, that is a control mechanism to a degree, but mm. but there aren't a lot of there's not a lot of things right now for evaluating the experience, the different types of ways that those experiences, the VR experiences, can be bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's because there's all kinds <clears throat> of different abuse scenarios and and all kinds of different ways they can be uncomfortable. They yeah. can be physically uncomfortable. They can be psychologically uncomfortable. There's like other so social just norms close that can to be rating that right now. Yeah. yeah.
0: There's like social norms that can be broken very easily mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm.
3: And yeah, and that kind of reminds me of like one of my favorite topics about VR, which is like games or experiences that promote empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real in this case, it seems like a pretty clear and cut situation, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure it always would be. Mm-hmm. Um I think that like I saw two recent ones in the Quest store. I played the um, Anne Frank experience, uh-huh. which I really enjoyed. And I haven't played Traveling While Black yet, but I noticed that it has very divisive reviews. Yes. Um, and <sighs> I was curious if there have been um, experiences that I, – I know I'm sure many people in this XR space are mm-hmm. talking about how can we promote empathy, and I've definitely had those conversations with people. Yeah. And I think it's kind of hairy to – um, how do you do it without it feeling like you're going to school, sort of? Yeah, like, like here's, a people, on, yeah, here's a lecture. Yeah, here's a lecture on how to be training. more <laughs> uh, like, you know, less sexist or less racist. You're like
0: anti-bias um, training yeah. in the classroom or whatever, um, you know, there's, there's lots of examples like that. Did
4: you ever play the um, Notes on Blindness? Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried that I d-
3: one? I did a little bit, yeah. That I, one,
4: because that one's more of like, they just made an experience. It's not really explicitly trying to tell you a whole lot, but it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a Po, you know, kind of process and kind of interpret
0: what you will from the experience. Yeah. And
4: For anyone and who's immersive. not
1: familiar with notes on blindness, it's basically this experience that, like, you are sitting on a bench. So, well, actually, I'll go back to the context where it, it was built from these notes, I mm-hmm. think, from, from voice a recorder. Voice recorder, right. From mm-hmm. a a man who was uh, losing his mm-hmm. sight. Yep. Yes. And they took those recordings and added the added an experience in VR yep. to it. Which mm-hmm.
4: basically it's use audio in a way that feels visual, or you know, they use visual cues that kind of are supposed to signify that you've got all these um, yeah. Audio spatial signals and things like that, and yeah. really, try to evoke some sort of yeah, similar experience. Of awesome. And it particularly is, if you yeah. watch all the way to the end, like the the end experience is very kind of cathartic and just feels really mm. very right. emotional.
1: Yeah, and it'll be like you know, like you were saying with the spatial sound, it'll say like he you know is hearing. He's describing what he's hearing, mm-hmm. and and then you're starting to see what you would imagine his quote-unquote, like, visual or mm-hmm. visualization is, yeah. which yeah. is, like...
4: Like echolocation-type mentality. Yeah, and there's, what. like, yeah.
1: colors and movement, and there are shapes because he would previously saw stuff, mm-hmm. you know, which, on a side note, made me curious about, like, what would this look like if you had never seen anything? Right. Yeah, now, yeah.
4: Which, much more complicated problem. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: believe there's still... I mean, there's still a... Unless the, that part of your brain is impaired, um, and that's why you're losing your blindness, there's still a sort of visual... Uh, system that manifests things mm-hmm. like it, just like if you close your eyes and you can't see anything you still see like weird flashes of color mm-hmm. and and shapes and things mm-hmm. uh, that aren't actually there
4: right but in that product it, it they actually show like people walking around whereas uh-huh. if you've never seen a, seen a person walking around you have what no idea that what that, look that looks like, like and so yeah right. you're going to interpret it as some other thing yeah, yeah it's like a
0: sound. synesthesia in mm-hmm. case right. where like yep. you what is does what auditory input for your senses turn mm-hmm. into on mm-hmm. the visuals? But yeah. that stuff
4: that stuff's amazing for VR though because you yeah can, you can do all kinds of crazy experimental conversions of mm-hmm. different senses and there's but, so much amazing research going into audio spatialization yeah. 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 for VR that you know, there was really cool um,
1: an experience called. Oh, I'm forgetting it. But it's based <laughs> off of a short film and it begins with a D, I think. But it's about this police officer who like um takes a call. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give anything away and obviously we'll like figure out what the name was, but um it's it's all about oh, dispatch. It's called mm-hmm. dispatch. Dispatch. And um it does a similar thing as Notes of Blindness, where it's like, you are the police officer taking a call Mm -hmm. and you're trying to figure out what's happening based on what this person is describing to you. And it just is like using it. Obviously your idea starts with darkness because he has no idea what's going on. then they start to, it's like a a scary scenario where this uh, young woman is trying, is afraid of somebody and they're chasing her. And then as she's describing things and as he's asking her questions, his visual and the world that he's starting to build of this story are building Builds up around on. you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I, I think that ty- type of approach to designing in VR is fascinating. And mm-hmm. going back to the empathy, it is a way to show, at least in those two cases, how somebody's thoughts are developing over time yeah. and the mm-hmm. visual that's being created for mm-hmm. them. Um, but uh, Miko, back to your point about like how do you how do you balance it though? I, I created this. Uh, experience well you did it for the mm-hmm. um for the wing luke museum yeah we I, were...
3: have you talked about it before on the Mm-mm. podcast no. i don't think so you haven't shouted out your own <laughs> yeah, awesome experience on your Way podcast? To be the best example
4: of not self-promoting <laughs> interesting <laughs> that's the problem with all artists I, everywhere. I, I know. <laughs> i'm so glad i was here today all right yep, tell us tell
3: us more well so
1: <laughs> i mean the the Short d- descri- just kidding. I can never do short descriptions. Yeah. I always say in the short that. description exactly. that I go for like three hours. An hour later. <laughs> I mean it was created, it was based on it was an adaptation of a short story where the in the short story, these aliens land they're escaping a genocide in a different planet. Mm-hmm. And uh it, they they land on like a you know our soil on Earth, and there are, it, it all takes place on this like kind of resorty beach area uh, where people are vacationing, and they approach the the people there and uh, are looking for help, and they're like we're escaping a genocide, like we come in peace essentially, all of this stuff. And and that short story is all about how we would react to aliens landing in that situation because a lot of alien stories are typically about kind of like aliens coming to take over there's some sort or, of threat. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and or in or this predi- case it's like very predatory. clear that they are escaping a problem that mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. having. And how would we react trying to integrate them into the communities and the schools and how would we dole out stuff for them? Yeah. And 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 it talks about how people react. Like, I mean obviously there's some really it's it's a pretty uh dystopian view mm-hmm. and it highlights things like well people would be concerned about us just handing out houses to them like well we're the ones who work here we're the ones it's almost like who deserves what yeah right? there's
0: still humans that need things like why right, are you giving yeah, it to like, these why people especially the them or, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, they're was, not us so why do yeah. they get things
1: and it was very blatantly about yep, refugee because it was written in like 2017 not that there's any really time where it hasn't applied yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot going on you know in yeah, 2017 with like the Syrian refugee crisis which and all yep. that.
0: has been going on since like 2011 right, essentially when yeah. the whole uh the uh, arab spring happened mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you had all of these different uh nations throughout the middle east that kind of rebelled against their sort of leaders and a lot of uh turmoil that happened during that time yeah yeah it's and just
4: natural disasters and all
0: countries. yeah it's very long long yeah. going there's a convergence of a lot of things <laughs> right
1: and when when I was writing the adaptation, I had really interesting conversations with the original author with like, okay, we have like no budget. <laughs> we have one animator <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> and we
1: have two months, you know? You and go. so it was like, Reality. what, yeah. right. So mm-hmm. what do we do with this? How do we, um, how do we boil this down into literally its simplest form? Mm-hmm. Um, which is hard because, and, well, it's hard, obviously, because, like, if you want to highlight something like the bystander effect, well, you need people there. But anyways, she did want to highlight the bystander effect. And, and more so when we thought about, well, whose perspective should this story be told through? Because the original story was – I forget the actual form it's called, but it's like a we mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the plural uh, – Like the it's like first, first person, person plural. plural. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, but if you are a character or is it like, you know, you have to make these decisions when you're building an experience in VR. Are you a character? Because you are you. What perspective do you
0: have in the story? Right.
1: And obviously you have to do that with with any story, with any game, with any book or whatever. Um, But it is a decision you need to make. And that's not always clear. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially in adaptations and um we were trying to figure out too like okay i thought well maybe we do it from the alien's perspective because i don't know i'm simple-minded and i was like that would be pretty interesting like what they're going through with this whole thing and just like make people sad you know <laughs> um but uh but the author was like no i want this to be from the perspective of the person who closes the blinds mm-hmm. to what's going on and that was like a part of a oh. story where when these aliens are essentially so not to like ruin the short story and by the way this is called uh, the the original story is called "The Wretched and the Beautiful," and you can look it up online. We'll probably link nice it or man. whatever. And it's yeah. by um, a local to Seattle, award-winning author Lily Yu. She goes by E. Lily Yu, and her as her as an author. And um, so, to give away the ending, the peop- the the aliens who are. Um, uh, doing the genociding,
0: doing the genocide suffering leading, from a genociding. The genocide, ge- oh, no, no, they're the, leading leading, the ones that are doing the ones, saying. Saying. the ones that are killing gotcha. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I couldn't have said it any clearer. <laughs> um, so they land. So you have this whole beginning of the story where everyone's like sh- the you know they land and then the middle is like, well, what do we do? And it's all like the pop- the community forming around it um, and how people are reacting, and then they're struggling, and then the other aliens who are leading the genocide uh, come down. Like they followed oh. them, and they're like, uh, "We're basically we're where sorry. Did they go? These yeah. um, like nothing to th- see here. <laughs> yeah. yeah th- where, where are they?
0: Like, we're trying to take yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: they're like, oh, we had we had our uh, these these aliens or whatever escape from confinement, mm-hmm. and we're here to take them back and put them in confinement. We're here to take them off your hands. There's also a visual element where the ones who are um, leading the genocide are very like beautiful they're the beautiful mm. and the beautiful and the wretched mm-hmm. and the ones that are um escaping the genocide are very kind of are, are basically ugly creatures mm. essentially yeah, what we would call that right, In right. yeah manners. wretched creatures yeah and um anyway so so we had to figure out what to do and sh- and the author wanted the perspective of these people who close the blind so when these aliens are being taken away back to the genocide planet mm-hmm. uh people didn't know what to do. So they just kind of closed their blinds and were like, and then woke up the next morning and everything was gone and back to normal. Oh yeah. Right. And this was a really forces interesting, forces you into
4: that persp- into that mm-hmm. action. Effectively. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. And this was a really interesting time, at least for me, because, um, Trump had just been elected. Like, I guess this was two years ago. Yeah. So it's like a year into the Trump administration, essentially. Okay. And, uh, on top of um, that which like I don't mean to get into politics but like I just will flat out say I don't uh, like him Um, and
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean to get into politics (laughs) (laughs) Uh, here we are but um, yeah
1: (laughs) but also like everything else going on in the world it was like I had this mentality along with a lot of my friends which was like I can't even read the news anymore and you started hearing this from a lot of people after Mm -hmm. Trump got elected like I'm just turning off the you had an emotional yeah exactly Mm -hmm. an emotional fatigue it becomes
0: exhausting to, to be exposed to that constant sort of tension back right. and forth between sides. Yes. Parties.
1: And so that struck me, and I had some really hard, you know, internal conversations as well as conversations with Lily, the author. Uh, about, well, okay, but what do we do? Because like this whole story was really pessimistic, but it's like, well, what, what are we supposed to do? You know, like like, how can, I can't change anything, you Mm -hmm. know? Anyways, so, um, we ended up creating it from that perspective and we had to simplify it. So it was like the way we did that was we had, um, in VR, I mean, is you have the, you are a human, um, sitting on the beach and you're at the beach at night and there's like a resort and all of this stuff so you kind of get the sense that people are around without having more characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because also we were doing this on Oculus Goes, which yeah. um because we had to have it in a museum that people could easily get into and out of and we had to have those donated so the poly count which it means like essentially, you know, how many the polygons you're allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had it's to also less, be low.
0: Less computing power is needed. to run. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So limited in many ways on the amount of characters we could have Um, and then uh, so we did it so that the This one – like the alien – the ship lands, an alien approaches you on the beach and starts asking you for help. And your interaction with them, your dialogue is essentially set. Like they say something to you and then you respond and select – like you don't have any options. You have to select what is presented to you. Yeah,
4: none of your options Mm -hmm. are good. Right. Or or at least from the concerned person's mentality. Right. And and
1: actually none of it was – I wouldn't even say any of it was really bad. It was this mentality of like... I'm really sorry, like, I'm just here on vacation, You go ask somebody else, essentially. Right. Um, like, I'm not the right person to go to. And it's this kind of ongoing experience where you're saying these things that is dismissing this, this alien, but not in a really mean way. Mm-hmm. And like a good, you know, a well-meaning person would actually say those things or feel that way, even if they're unwilling to think mm-hmm. that they would. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, like, kind of leads you into, you do end up like the <clears throat> the beautiful alien comes down and says, I'll take this off your hands and you're basically like great thanks you know um and then you let I don't need to worry
0: about it now. yeah i don't
1: need to worry about it and so you like let them do that and then uh, and then there's another part of the experience where it's trying to which was added like it, this is not in the original story but it uh it tries to tell you like instead of it makes you close your eyes because the alien says at the end the, the beautiful one says like oh, i'm going to take this off your hand all you need to do is close your eyes And so then, um, you select, you elect to close your eyes. And so then the experience talks you through like, okay, um, instead of closing your eyes, like what you can do is actually like keep them open, sit with the discomfort, you know, and Mm -hmm. it kind of has these like reassuring things where it's like, you don't essentially need to be a hero, but you do need to keep your eyes open and your wits about you. Um, things that you're experiencing aren't always going to be comfortable, what you're witnessing somebody go through Mm -hmm. or all of these things. Um, Anyways, so, sorry, that's, like, the, such a long explanation. No, it was a short
4: explanation. You said so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's the spark notes. <laughs> but what was really
1: fascinating about showing this experience to people is people really didn't like it. Um, oh. And, yeah, so because they didn't like –
0: yeah, really it's really uncomfortable. It's not a lot of pleasant, desirable experience. <gasps> yeah. <to go> through. <laughs> and you
4: have no agency in it. So right. It's very, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And so some people, um, like mostly on opening night, we observed a lot. I also went back and stalked a little bit at the museum. But um, people went anything – they were – some were getting really angry like this is broken and I can't select something else. Um, oh. Some people would just be like – I wouldn't have done that, you know. Like I, I just want you to know that I would have helped the alien.
2: <laughs> I
0: just have <laughs> to reassure you. everyone, really myself, that I wouldn't do that.
1: Yeah, I and I think it. that was an interesting reaction because I'm like,
4: sure, yeah.
3: okay,
1: but would you?
4: You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> in reality, would yeah? You? yeah. yeah. That's yeah. so
3: interesting because I think I've heard one definition of art is that it gives you more than what you put in. And I think this is a great example of like the experience you put together because it caused people to talk about it and Mm -hmm. have an emotion, even if that emotion is like, I don't understand why can't I do this thing? I think that is, like, what makes it special, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Also, uh, experiences that mess with the UI are, like, one of my favorite things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think that <laughs> is Purposely just a, Yeah, it's very meta, things. but yeah. it's also, like, just something I think is a really great tool to use. And, yeah. and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the experience that you made. I also thought your storytelling is – I've told you this before. I think you have really great taste in how you pace a story. And I think that you use that really well in that experience. Thank you, um, Nico. Yeah, so it is it's very interesting um Oh gosh, I want to tell you about. Uh, there's a couple of grad students I mentored, and they did a, a game called Project Conchi, mm-hmm. and it was a game about um, you are a radio operator, and you're listening in on two sisters, and one of them has escaped the government, and she's a rebel, and um, you, your job is to listen in and find, and then say yes, they're going to this location, and yes, right. she's being helped by Ooh. this person, help capture them, uh, yeah, and, and participate. Uh, mm-hmm. I I feel like it's okay. I need to look at my phone because I want to tell you the names
4: of the creators. While you're doing that, I was going to say, I actually think the the experience from the perspective of the alien, uh, one of the refugee aliens, Mm -hmm. it would be, I mean, I feel like that would be a great counterpoint like to experience that because mm-hmm. the reality is that is most of the, ex- that is most people's reality when they're in that experience. They're helpless. They can't, they mm-hmm. don't have access to things. They can't do things. Right. And so no matter what they say, they get turned down. And so that's a lack of agency that builds your yeah. your empathy for the people that are in that situation. Yeah. Um, it,
0: it kind of highlights, I, I think this kind of gets down to the reason that a lot of people were not happy about the experience after going through it is because from the perspective of the ignorant individual that chooses not to pay attention or to turn an eye, Um, it just highlights what most of us do with Mm -hmm. most problems Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. it brings up
1: a fear we have. Like, it hits too close (laughs) to home, I think. And that's the whole thing with the balance of of empathy, you know? Like, how do you make it land and stay true without making it so true that somebody doesn't want to deal with it, you know? There was a specific
0: instance of this that I encountered uh, maybe a year and a half ago where there were a couple people on the beach over in Alki this is an area in Seattle um that is really pretty. It feels very much like the coastline in, in California sometimes. I feel like reminds me of Carmel, if you've ever been down there. Yeah,
3: yeah. I like that area. Yeah. Wait, is that where I'm thinking? Is it on the Olympic rainforest area? Carmel. Or is Carmel
4: no. is... No, Alki is West Seattle. It's from Seattle. West Seattle. It's actually just oh. on the west side of West Seattle. Oh, okay.
3: I was thinking yeah. of...
4: So it's still in the sound. Where, yeah, was, You're thinking
1: you? of like La Push. And yeah.
4: Oh, I yeah. Out on the, the peninsula. peninsula. Thank you.
0: Different feels. Mm-hmm. Yes. Both very, beautiful. very yeah. different feel, but doesn't feel like a beach town out there, at least. Right. Right, from-
1: feels like vampires. Okay, yeah, it's very much twilight like a little town.
0: little beach walk. <laughs> feels like vampires. <laughs> yeah. let a talk sparkly about
3: <laughs> Yeah, and werewolf.
0: Feels Com- like Com- vampire <laughs> werewolf uh, teenage romance. If
3: you guys yeah. want to talk about that, we can. <laughs> let's, New let's put a let's
0: put a pin in it because <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to yeah. come back to that. Okay. Yeah, but
3: wait, yeah, go. So
0: uh, this experience while I was walking down the beach on Alki, um, I ran into a couple people, and they had um, they had like a stand set up and a bunch of food and everything laid out. So they were trying to lure people in, basically. And uh, they had a couple of the it it was the phone based headsets. Um, I think they were there was the gear the gear, yeah, VR, gear VR Samsung mm-hmm. Gear VR. Um, and they were basically trying to lure people in to view these first person perspective experiences through a slaughterhouse. Mm, yep, which is. An extreme experience yeah, to yeah. go through when you don't know what you're about to dive into and you're like, sure, these people are – and I'm not I'm not uh, hating on veganism or anything mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Just these were two vegans that were kind of part of an organization and they were trying to use this as an empathy-generating mm-hmm. tool. Yeah. Um, Although it doesn't – Yeah. yeah it's, it's it doesn't problemat-
4: particularly work for imp- empathy, I think, right off the bat like that. Yeah. I mean – I'm if sure they led it's, you through it's the life of the animal? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you could do that because you you would get in a sense of attachment you, first Yeah, and then you
0: you'd you develop an emotional <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But if experience. But so instead like, see this cute little pig If you're just pig straight into slaughter. horror. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. Know. It's yeah. like throwing somebody into what is that book that was written year uh, back at the beginning of the century It was like the jungle where they were just describing the yeah. horrors oh, yeah. of the meatpacking mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you just throw somebody into a slaughterhouse experience where they go through it with all these other animals and everything. Um, I mean, that is just a really uh, questionable use of the technology to try to um, change people's minds, mm-hmm. or, or I think
1: that's what one would call shoving something down your throat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like
0: it's 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 using it's trying to force empathy in a way that is is potentially scarring and is dangerous. <laughs> you can psychologically harm people that don't know what they're about. Well, to Well, it, it goes
3: into that whole like the sensitivity, yeah, and how if you're going to do that, you have to treat it delicately and mm-hmm. with respect. Yeah. Figure out how. And they they are, there probably is a way to do that kind of experience yep. and help yeah. people understand. The, the, a vegan point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a whole other topic, but I, I stream on Twitch and a lot of my friends are cooking streamers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they cook on stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they'll do things like they'll cook crab. So they yeah. have to kill a crab on, on the stream. Recording. <laughs> uh, and that, I mean, it was a little like they actually like they did it in the most humane way, okay. but th- it does not look humane. It's like an right. axe goes into you a crack a crack skull. Okay, but then it wow. causes a whole com- Every time that has happened, a it's been a whole conversation. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things they talked about is like if you're going, since they really care about making food and preparing food, mm-hmm. they did talk about how like if you're going to prepare meat, you you probably should think about that whole experience yeah, and it, respect. Where it comes from. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I just think like, I don't know what we could do about that other than the VR troopers, I guess, Kelly. <laughs> but yeah. it just seems like when you're, people's hearts are in the right place mm-hmm. when they yeah. make the intent is yep, that's yeah. not
4: wrong. Yeah I, mean, yeah, I mean, Jay knows, but disclaimer that I am the vegan in the room. At least I, I don't think you're vegan, probably, right? I <laughs> no. yeah. I was. At I one dabble. Time, yeah, and and when we <laughs> have
3: conversations like this, I'm always like, I should go back. I
4: should. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> but I, but I, I do
3: own the Veganomicon. Does that oh. Oh. Mean? I mean, I cook for that sometimes, but I'm not fully. I mean, anything vegan.
4: is any any approach toward it is I feel is helpful. But but I, I actually have a game design that I had done oh. for my my that I had started for my. Independent company before mm-hmm. I realized how challenging that was to actually make function from a financial <laughs> point of view, um, and and it uh, the the working title was pig out, which is kind of ridiculous, but the nice. idea was that you were a the idea was that you were a, a pig or ideally a chicken or a cow mm-hmm. that was released by like you're in a fa- you're in a factory farm and you get mm-hmm. released by. Um, somebody, an animal liberation group oh, comes in okay. and lit, opens your pin yeah. and you have to escape. So it's like a first person kind of like... Oh, wow. So you go through the experience mm-hmm. and you do that, but you you have the agency and you're playing as the animal, but it's actually, like, you know, the idea was that it would be engaging and it's yeah. kind of like survival horror yeah. format, but yep. but you're doing something, but you're actually seeing all those aspects of mm-hmm. what it's like to be in that environment. So I, I think it is a really hard thing. Like, you can't just throw somebody into a... If you throw them into that environment, they're just going to be like disturb but not connect it, i think it's, it's really hard so it's just psychologically jarring in a way that
0: probably isn't going to get the the end intent that you had mm-hmm. to be internalized they're just going to feel threatened or in danger or somehow uh, psychologically scarred in a way that is going to completely yeah, they're override
1: not like, uh, yeah like uh, uh, absorbing it because there's yeah. a defense mechanism up I have yeah. so many thoughts but Miko you were you yeah, looking up someone yeah. on your phone
3: yep. Yep. yeah um, <laughs> one, one hour
4: later <laughs> on. yes, <exactly. laughs> good luck with that yeah.
3: just move things around It'll Yeah, will be fine nah, yeah, um, right. there's a, so this is a game called Operation Conchi and I'll share the link with you, you all. But um, it's by two young women, Amanda Siswojo and Imperatriz Ung. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced your names because uh. I've worked directly with them on this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, I basically <laughs> advised them. And um, and so it is a game where you are an, a radio operative and these sisters are having what they think you're on – They think no one is listening to their phone calls, essentially, but you're listening. And after every section, you are supposed to tell your boss, Mm -hmm. where is the sister going? Who is her accomplice? And what they told me is that um, the feedback that they were getting from playtesters was that they were annoyed that they weren't told earlier that, like, they shouldn't give the right answers. Because if you give the right answers, the sister gets gets caught, right? (laughs) and I course. thought that was really exciting and I'm yeah. really glad that they kind of stuck to their guns with this project Yeah, because like I I think the people that experienced that it's so interesting because maybe when you're at a booth at a show and you're cool. playing a game you're thinking my go- my job is to make uh, give feedback mm-hmm. about this and maybe you don't totally trust the experience yet but I think that they did everything right in this case and you could play it again
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, when I first played it I played it immediately again and I gave the wrong answers because I wanted them to get away.
4: Yeah, and I see felt, what happens in that. Regard yeah, and
3: or... I really loved what they did here. Um, yeah. Yeah, that
4: whole putting putting you in the situation of having to make uh, interesting decisions, particularly that type of thing where it's like this, there's a tendency for people to, a lot of people to listen to authority automatically mm-hmm. and not question. And in games, that's really common. Like, you're yes. like, oh, well, we, the, the design, you know, the, the yeah. thing presented to me was to do this. Of course I did that because yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm being led through the experience. But they're you know, breaking that or creating a way that the player can break that or giving mm-hmm. somebody an alternative experience where they can do something that's against maybe that standard social conditioning mm-hmm. It's pretty yeah. huge. Like,
0: there there was a really good example of this years ago. Um in specifically I think it was Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Mm-hmm. Um there you was, could dis dis or Or actually I think it was Modern Warfare 2 Mm-hmm. Um the beginning of the game, and we can correct this after the fact if that's not correct. Um, the be- very beginning of the game, you you were set into the role of a CIA agent, I believe that was undercover as part of a terrorist operation where there's a bunch of um, there's a bunch of operatives from another country that are going into a mall in that country and are going to shoot up the place. So it's essentially like that experience that was a school shooting that got shut down. This was uh, this was years Terrorists. ago. Yeah. So you're basically undercover in a terrorist group during an operation and you as the player experience standing in that person's shoes. And you know that you're an undercover operative and you're, you're you know, like this whole thing is not necessarily supported by the government, but you have to make this sort of ethical choice of what do I do in order to not out myself and in order to not stand out among this group as they do this horrific thing in front of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there was a Kotaku article that was written on this. Like a lot of people, if you you think back to that experience, they probably just went along with it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then there were lots of other people that, that basically just walked through and witnessed all this stuff happening, but, but refused to actually engage in attacking anyone. And, Especially these days, it's a very sort of uh, controversial experience to be put into a game.
4: I think the but, the VR aspect is a really interesting ke- like player in that because yeah. if you put somebody in the position of doing that same stuff in VR, there's yeah. a very different feeling to like you feel like it's your action in a way that yeah. I feel like you didn't on 2D screens a lot of times. Yeah, it was easier to separate mm-hmm. yourself. So I or, think that could be an interesting thing. This like would people do the same thing? Like if you put them side by side, had have people play both those experiences like how many people go through it versus stop if they play vr yeah Yeah. version of it
1: there's a game term for what we're talking about and i'm blanking on it and it's like somebody told me who works has worked in the game industry for a while that it's like an overused term but it's for when you create like an experience that uh the player disassociates themselves Mm. like when because you want your player to to embody whatever person you're you a know, making them embody whatever character they're mm-hmm. playing, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a term for, um, I feel like it begins with a D. <laughs> I'll it, look it up. Just dis- <laughs> dispatch. Yeah. Dis-
4: <laughs> just D, no, just D words. Yeah. Um, Disassoci- it's not disassociation. It's not though? disassociation.
1: It's like depersonalization. Well, no, because
4: um, that is what you're on a roll. That is what, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: it work. is. I'll look it up and see if I this, can find it, and won't listen to anything anyone says for the rest of the time because I'll just be thinking about it.
3: Um, <laughs> this is my Kelly, deepest. This is my deepest fear coming on this podcast is that I would be like, oh yeah, I remember this thing, and then in the yeah. people yeah. write to you and say she got the word wrong, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she yeah. got uh-huh. the date wrong. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and well, and we, we would just write preserved. back to them and be like, fuck you.
2: Just like that.
0: Write
1: to us. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you're writing to
0: us, then yeah. somebody cares a lot more than, yeah. <laughs>
1: than Anyways, we can hope for. Um, there yeah. is a common term for that, and it is, it is basically when uh, it is the act, it's like creating something where uh, that per- you disassociate from the character that you're playing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: some games do this intentionally. Like as
0: part of the game mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: and it's highly uh, discouraged, and I think typical. Game design, like if you want, if you want a real, you know, it's like, well, okay, if you want to make the romantic comedy that like hits all the parts, like you don't want to have this effect, you know what I mean? Yeah, or something it's a, it's like a that. potentially it's not you aim to have all the time. Yeah, it's
0: a potentially adverse experience to people actually engaging with and continuing to want to play your game. And I, yeah,
1: totally. And I think it's it, potentially adverse as even being kind. It's like guaranteed a problem, <laughs> See, not
0: pleasant. for most
1: people. <laughs> and then like some people will get it, and it's like that whole like I trust my. God. Audience, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, but mm-hmm. I think it is an interesting topic. It's like, so so if you choose to use that, um, uh, how do you use it a- appropriately? Or is it ever really appropriate? In the case of the game you were just describing, Miko, it sounds like you have an appreciation for that. Um, but probably for a lot of people, it's like, well, what do, what are the people who created that game? Who do they want to target? And, and what do they want to do? Because... The, the problem is that you already have an open mind who's, like, thinking that way, right? So it could potentially become an echo chamber type of thing where they're creating for the people – the only people who are going to get what you're trying to mm-hmm. do with it already have that mindset.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, You know, you're talking about the military shooter. And another one that yeah. does this uh, is Spec Ops The Line. Oh, okay. Um, which – uh, is a really fascinating game that was, you know, presented as if like you're the hero, you're the American hero, and you're yeah. killing mm-hmm. the bad people from another land.
2: But
4: mm-hmm. then things get dark. Yeah, mm. and
3: it's it's definitely worth looking into that. I'm I'm okay. sure there's been some excellent. I watched a Let's Play of it. And there's like okay. there's actually like people have written books describing oh, the wow. detail in this game because their their whole I, I do believe the creators planned to make this a game where you would question why do you play military shooters? Yeah, yeah. And they kind of, they make the sh- the, the killings more violent as mm-hmm. you go it on. Oh. And then there's kind of a turning point um where you kill innocent people and your right. main character, you're not sure is a hero anymore. Right.
0: You feel very conflicted about your yeah. action.
3: And I, I mean, this is the yeah. area where I'm like, people are going to write in and say, I got it all wrong. But um, <laughs> I think one of the creators in an interview said, you always have a choice. You can choose not to play. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty gutsy <laughs> get-
0: yeah. uh, to be
3: like, he, you know, essentially our m- game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, we want you to question, why do you do this yeah. for entertainment yeah. is a really interesting question Um, I imagine a lot of
4: people that make things like that that have that kind of mentality behind what they're doing. Would probably actually love to make a game where you really could make the choice to to not do the things. It's just so difficult to do that. Like yeah. open um, open into design from a yeah, yeah. development and mod, yeah. like it's yeah. so complicated. And I think
2: that is.
3: Spec Ops was a pretty well known series when this game came mm. out. Yeah. And so they they already had an audience. Mm. Um, I they think knew that we going to be engaged. Yeah, I think you can make more gutsy choices when you are a new IP? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Big right.
4: big publishers do not like it when you tell people not to play your game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> generally not not looked well upon.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the word without even looking it up. Aha! Uh-huh. It's, it's Ludo narrative dissonance. Wow! Is nerd- anyone nerd- familiar with this word? Dissonance. I've
3: definitely heard that before. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: I was so excited when I learned this word, and then I felt all like ha ha ha. Like in my in my um, in my go. game that I, like uh-huh. that experience I was creating for the museum, I was like describing it to uh, my friend Tam. Whatever. <laughs> hopefully he'll never listen, but hopefully he does because he was just like. Like, he works in the – he actually – he creates Moss, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Moss is a great guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he runs that company. And um, so I'm, like, all, like, excited – about this new term that I learned, and I'm like, anyways, <laughs> the experience is just like ludonarrative dissonance. And he was just like, like I could like feel the eye roll from him. <laughs> he's just like,
0: yeah, I like, like, I can tell yeah. you looked that up ten minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, and
1: he was just like, it's just like, no. He was actually really nice. That he's like, it's just like kind of an overused word in the industry. And I was like, okay, I've good.
4: actually never heard good it, but I'm not, I am not in desi- I'm not a designer. Yeah. I'm on the art side, so I, it's also
3: kind of academic.
4: I mean. Yeah, I think it's that's
1: a, the thing. It's maybe like an overused academic yeah. term but can we break, every academic ter- term is overused you, so.
0: can we break it down a little bit like being something being ludonarrative narrative. What does uh, ludo and then, mean as a yeah. I don't know ludo it, it as a root. It means
1: it's about Light. games. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay,
0: <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ludo.
3: It's about games. Really? Ludo? Yeah, like if your ludography is like oh. your list of games you've made. Oh, oh okay.
0: What? I've never yeah. heard of that before, yeah. so
4: thank
3: you. <laughs> Jeez.
2: We're learning so much. I've
3: been
4: in the game much. industry for like 20, 20 years. I've never heard that term <laughs> in my life. Mike's having an <laughs>
3: existential crisis. It's because crisis. I had an academic background. <laughs> no, so, there you go. Like, but I've lost a lot of the words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: Okay, so ludo means about games yeah so Ludo narrative story, is, is
0: interactive narrative, narrative yeah. Yeah. or game focused narrative and then dissonance mm-hmm. means that you are creating it's some sort of psychological friction with like, like a, in the like narrative like a
3: disconnect right mm-hmm. like yeah. uh,
1: it is well dissonance cognitive what does cognitive dissonance mean because i feel like I, you, I always liked this term but i never seem to get it right two
4: conflicting it, states essentially yeah oh, like you, it's right. like you believe
0: yeah. something uh that you also have maybe facts or knowledge Outside of that, that completely conflicts with this maybe irrational belief that you have.
1: Right, yeah. and
0: But, you know, at, at that point in time, the cognitive dissonance is that you're still holding on to mm-hmm. some state of belief, even though there's other information currently existing in your head that you know doesn't quite fit yeah. or make sense. So makes you can't sense. get a solid picture. Yeah.
4: And, I don't and know and in, if...
1: Well, yeah, go ahead. I was just
4: going to say, in music, it's also just when you have, if you have two notes right next to each other, when you don't have the proper interval, you get a pattern that is upsetting. It's very, yeah, it Yeah, you feel uncomfortable. Thank you. That makes sense. It's often used in horror to
0: create that sort of uneasy environment because you're just like, ah, like, like, like resolve somehow.
4: Okay, so I
1: don't know if this applies, but I remember the first time I really thought about the term cognitive dissonance is when I was it, I didn't I went to business school so like I didn't learn a lot of psychology at all uh, mm-hmm. in my academic learnings. Um and I was dating a complete asshole.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Man, come out. Uh, oh, I will continue. You're like, you past self. What No, to are no, you, I, I, you probably should back off that one. No. But,
1: uh, and I, <laughs> I like go for a but time. I loved him and I knew how awful he was and this I had this example. feeling of like It was this conflict in my brain of, like, I know exactly what's going on, but I can't stop these feelings that I have. And I wondered if, like, that was an appropriate application. And a lot of people struggle with that. I'm sure that's why people get stuck in, like, really
0: abusive abusive relationships. Uh Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because there's all this sort of emotional load and and triggers Mm -hmm. about that person that that continue to make them appealing to you even though you maybe – Rationally or logically, you've walked through it a million times, and you're like, "They're not good for me." I know because of all these different things, but I'm still attached to them. Somehow, they still keep pulling me back in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
3: yeah. want to play that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you
0: know that, would people really people that would be a really useful experience. Help. I know. Yeah. 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 yeah, But I mean, the trick is, <laughs> but
3: also a trigger. Yeah, yeah, very, <laughs> yeah. very
0: trigger, yeah. uh, trigger heavy, which is a that that's that's a difficult thing to to monitor as far as like content
4: for That's experiences. That's another thing for the VR troopers. Yeah. There you
3: go. <laughs> so, okay, so are you saying it's uncomfortable? Because I feel like I'm my, probably my favorite type of game mm-hmm. and I like to play and, and kind of observe a lot of the indie space and mm-hmm. I love like personal games that are like not perfect but they're so in the voice of their author and it's a situation mm-hmm. where they're like nobody's making the game I want to make and yeah. I'm going to
0: mm-hmm. make so it. So they're just going to do it myself. And
3: I yeah. love that kind of experience and mm-hmm. And so I li- really like. I sort of seek out games where I'm playing someone that's not much like me, or that I haven't seen as a main character before. Yeah. So is it supposed to be like it's uncomfortable, or is it like I don't like I, or is it more like I think I'm playing a villain and I don't like it? But this I'm is still...
0: this is back to Ludo narrative dissonance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Um. So.
1: It, it is meant to be uncomfortable. I mean, the point is that it's putting you in a position you don't want to be in meaning. It's not like, okay, so I think what is not applicable or what uh, is like something where, um, let's say, you – don't like bears so you don't want to play a bear right
4: that's very simple <laughs> that's just like okay <laughs> then really don't play it and that's yeah. just like
1: what the character is it's almost like it has to catch you in something or force you into this position for example oh, you expected it was it was right,
3: something yeah. it's like something really yeah. so like the
1: the papers please that game which um for anyone who doesn't know that's what it's called right Yeah. okay um uh it it was it's a video game done by this dude who i forget his name but he like is a is like
3: lucas pope
1: yeah, that sounds about right. He does, mm, like, the most amazing job. games and just, like, disappears for years and does them all by himself. And it's super <laughs> annoying. Um, but love his work. It's also the
3: dream. Yeah, it's also yes. the dream.
1: But literally, sorry, like, side note, at, like, the um, Game Developers Conference last year, he won so much, so many awards for... Um,
3: Oberdin yeah. For
1: uh, the Return of Oberdin, his Obardin, This yeah. amazing game. I definitely suggest it. But, like, he kept winning the awards and he kept going up and he had nobody to thank. Because he's like, yeah, he's I basically like, I did, did it. this myself. I'm like, I don't know. Thank you. are Like, you didn't do all the voices. There's no... No way thank your mom all at least yeah. <laughs> he's like thanks for my, my wife because like I don't hang supportive. out
2: with her enough yeah no I mean no
1: I actually think he's really amazing yeah, no, yeah. no um, I'm just envious this is what happens Jay knows me well enough
3: anytime I'm envious yes,
1: I'm just like, like a whatever comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: I would love to highlight that for a second though I saw a tweet once that was like okay we all love Stardew Valley which is another game made by one person and there was a tweet I saw that was like can we just give a shout out to the girl Friend that supported him for four yeah. years oh, yeah. so he could finish the game. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if someone does do all the stuff, they still have some kind of network generally. I think that's people. really cool mm-hmm. to like take a minute to be like, yeah. hey, who emotionally or financially, You she was like the producer of that game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <right>? yeah. <laughs> right? you Think about she it. She was the enabling publisher. the space. No, not really. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I just yeah. think that's really cool. Um, my husband and I make indie games together. We emotionally support each other and help each other. And I just mm-hmm. think yeah. that. That's like a really special thing, and and she kind of be highlighted. Yeah, I'll give more. a shout out. Thank to
4: my wife for uh tolerating years and years. <laughs> of the industry. Yeah. And do
1: you do, do you feel like you go to her with just like even just letting out thoughts about like what's going oh, yeah. on? Because mm-hmm. I feel like even when somebody doesn't get credit, like they're not technically getting their hands super dirty. It's like they are the. You know, you bounce. There's a sounding off of board. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like,
4: absolutely. Yeah, she knows an astounding <laughs> amount about the game industry and, and <laughs> just, never just, been in it. She's going yeah. yeah. to go. <laughs> have her own anonymous <laughs> blog or
3: her own podcast. that'd be amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, anyways, there was so there was a game, and I I I have already confessed many times on this podcast that I'm not like a huge gamer gamer. Um, so it was like some shooter game mm-hmm. that um in order to get to the next level, you had to like sh- shoot some children or do something like that.
4: Yeah. Oh, that one, well, Yeah. The one you were talking about earlier. No, that oh, was a different, different one. one. Oh, wow. That was the more the than one. There's multiple. You <laughs> shooting I and, think, <laughs> okay,
1: I you might, know there
2: is. I'm pretty yeah, sure definitely. that they're
1: different. Like the one, cause the one I was talking about earlier was some VR game. That was like you, uh, the school shooting one. Right. I think I'm pretty sure that was completely different. And this was not a VR game. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that one got like taken down and this other one, I think was more of like a, a softer application of it. Like, it was still really hard, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but not as grossly, like, uh, you know, inconsiderate. It sounded like over the game. top. It
4: sounded like yeah. Jay was describing earlier. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it might be
1: the same one, but I don't know, but you had to get, it's like you're playing this whole game and then in order to get to the next level, there's, like, this pretty nasty thing you have to do and get through. And um, it was like, do you stop playing or, or whatever? So yeah, it's that yeah. same thing. So that's kind of the application of ludonarrative dissonance is, like, making, it's, it's, Putting somebody into a character and then giving them an experience where they're like um, – so they identify with this character and then suddenly they don't. And it and the reason it's not suggested is that it's not just that it makes somebody uncomfortable. It's like it's bad storytelling. You don't – you what you want is to have somebody be immersed and feel like they're this person. So when you mm. do something like that, you're suddenly breaking the – illusion right, what is it
0: the mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall or like in in narrative isn't that the term that's you know like exactly. in, in a show where the fourth where
1: wall is when you look in the camera so that's a different thing it's like yeah, when the
3: character knows yeah. that the audience is like, there. Create the same uh, for for
0: a moment it yeah. breaks the immersion oh i see what you're saying it, oh, yes. yeah it breaks They'll that separation the mm-hmm.
3: there's another similar term about the magic circle right. okay so when yep. you go to play a game yeah. you're in you Voluntarily enter the magic circle, yeah. which means I am agreeing that I am a playing. I am you suspend disbelief. Yes, it's exactly yeah.
4: that. I actually right. looked this up because of the pervasive game thing. Oh, from Evie's thing. Yes, oh. awesome. Yeah. It was that. That's a big part of the pervasive game thing. Is, yeah. is defining that magic circle and yeah, where things go. So
3: and there. I Wait, think say there, more about. Yeah. That. What do you, okay.
0: What do you mean? The it was one?
4: just because pervasive games because the idea from mm-hmm. the last podcast. if yeah. you have to listen to <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, episode four. Was yeah. the last released one. The yeah. shit like the whole idea is that a big part of pergasi- pervasive games, since they extend out throughout life instead of just being contained, is mm-hmm. that they, they redefine where that magic circle is. Yeah. Like they can create this massive magic circle that encompasses long periods of time. Like what is what are the edges no of your story? Space. Uh, okay. So yeah. it, it basically extends that into that game world so that it encompasses all of life mm-hmm. or everything around mm. you, or everything else. So.
1: Right. And so what you're saying is yeah. So that illusion that you're creating, it is kind of bizarre to think about that with pervasive games where it's yeah. like it's already hard enough to create illusion. Um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, belief. Yeah. Like suspending. Yeah. Right. Sense- yeah. of disbelief. Right. Um, yeah. That... Uh, to do that in a game, it's already kind of hard enough to like convince people into this whole thing. You yeah, know, but to, then to, to draw do them that, in smoothly. Right. To draw yeah. them in Without smoothly them and make knowing them, it right. Which is what one would consider like smooth design and good yeah. design. And then to do that so that it, it's not just in that encapsulated experiences but yeah. pervades elsewhere. Um, but yeah, basically coming back to, co- uh, to I keep, ugh, I want to call it cognitive dissonance, but the Ludo, ludonarrative, Ludo dissonance. Narrative. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically people are saying, don't do it. And then when someone is doing it, uh, like in papers, please. Oh, so to explain that game, you're like, um,
3: I, are, are you no in Russia? Guard? It, I don't think it's actually Russia. I think it's like a fictional character. Okay. Uh, um, country. okay.
1: And, uh, I don't know, was that was, that, was that country, uh, was that though. like country discrimination of me? I don't know. Um, it well, just it, seemed, it made it, it seem like it It has an Eastern was. European feel, yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, but, uh, you are the person reading passports and, uh, declining people getting from one place to the other, but they're yeah. like changing up the rules on you. And you realize suddenly that like you are kind of enabling bad powers and what they're yeah, doing with right. the passports. You're, right. you're
0: yeah. being a conduit for these kind of just decisions that are indiscriminate and have very little sort of consideration for the people that they're affecting.
1: Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, I mean, you introduced me to that game, Miko, because I think I was talking to you about what I was trying to do with the museum experience. Mm-hmm. And it is hard because, like, in that game, you're like, okay, uh, like, it'll. so it literally shows you a screen. Have you guys played it? No, no. Okay, so it literally shows you a screen of... Um, who is dying or starving or sick because of you, because you oh. have, so, so, and yeah, you, this is the,
0: conundrum. So
3: you see
4: the aftermath. You, you are, <laughs> are still the a character as well. Yeah. And
3: so you have limited funds and you'll find like, it'll say like your nephew moves in with you and now mm-hmm. you don't so have enough. you can enough. start
4: to identify with the people that you're.
3: Yeah. So it's like, as you're in your tendency playing the game, may be that you want to be a good person. And when someone says, Hey, I'm fleeing something, just lie and let me in, please. You'll yeah. say, Okay, I'll do it. But then on, there's another layer to it, which is that you are also a character and mm-hmm. you have your own issues at home. Um,
1: well, and it's like if you get fired or if you don't make enough money, it's basically like your performance. You'll be deducted points if you do these things that are good.
0: Right. Or
1: yeah. quote unquote your, good. Your and job then, relies
0: on you Right. Your job and your money rules. relies
1: on this. And then you'll see the effects. You'll go home and you're like in between. It'll just show you you're like going home. You don't actually like walk into a house. It's just like you feel like you have in the sense that a scoreboard comes up and says like, okay – your wife is sick and you you have to dictate where you put money the money that you have does it go to food medication hospitalization of like your family or or education Mm -hmm. or something like that and so you already have these limited funds and you have to deal with the fact that well i need to make bad decisions in order to make more money and um and then you're choosing where all of that goes and you're seeing the effects like somebody will die or somebody will get sicker and sicker or whatever it is yeah and so it puts a lot of Pressure on you to do the things that you don't want to do. And yeah, I think much that- like real life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that game actually did a, a kind of genius job of it because it wasn't so in your face. It's not like showing you that your. F- it's not like showing you gross images of your family getting sick and dying or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, I mean it, it's blatant in, 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 in your face, but I think the difference would be if they didn't add that family thing, it would be a totally uh-huh. different game. Oh, yeah. Because if they're just if like, no Oh, somebody's you. telling you right to do something. You're just, it's playing just like, Oh, a, you're a bad person. A border guard you're, sim. Exactly. But because it added that, it made that it made you think. You're like, right, like these people are people that have all these other considerations and, and like you said, Mike, I mean it's everything in the world are these constant, mm-hmm. complex, connected decisions where we're not always trying to do something that's blatantly like black and white, bad or good. We're just trying to like survive and and support things. And, and it incrementally changes into something yeah. worse.
4: Yeah. I mean, effectively, if you create a world where everyone's, everyone's in competition, competition, you have limited resources. I mean, I, I, I've done a lot of Um, work in like volunteer work in the area of race and social justice. And I used to have this very idyllic concept that if everybody understood that the system was unfair and broken Mm -hmm. and they would want to fix that system. Like why would people not want to fix that system? I know my white friends would want to do something about that. They don't want to play an unfair game. Um, But the reality is when you put everybody into a situation where they're going to have a hard time surviving, if they don't have their advantages, Mm -hmm. people make very different decisions. And I think that's what you have to, if you can't, build some construct that lets people understand that it's really hard to it's really hard to get until you're in that situation and people do it every day and they don't even realize they're doing it too so yeah. so the it seems like the underlying sort of mechanic
0: of creating an experience that is supposed to Put you in an empathetic position towards some other individual or group or people that you're affecting, whether it's like your alien experience or it's your border guard and you're, you're seeing the impact on these people that are, are refugees or whoever that are trying to cross because of some sort of situation or harm that they might come under. Um, there's a sort of underlying mechanic of figuring out um, – oh, gosh, I am blanking on how to explain this. Um,
3: Maybe you're saying like, like games are about rules. And usually in a game, you are given an objective or a goal Mm -hmm. and you follow the rules and you win. Mm -hmm. And I think these are games and experiences that challenge that. Mm -hmm. And and in real life as well. Yeah. In history, there were times where following the rules was was morally the Mm -hmm. wrong thing to do. Yeah. And this is, these kinds of experiences can kind of help you if you ever are in that situation, whether it's staying with somebody who's not good for you, <laughs> mm-hmm. or it's a government situation where mm-hmm. you are not, you are in danger, your family's in danger.
4: Yeah. Um, or you're supporting a bad, or, bad, you're acting yeah. as an agent of a bad. Right.
3: Yeah, or even yeah. in a corporation yeah. situation, mm-hmm. it could be true too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: and it, at least looking at that particular border situation, it was, they did a good job with that uh, potentially because they slowly um, and incrementally introduced the ex- the player, the person experiencing it, to these, these seri- situations with cognitive dissonance. They know that they need to follow the rules for their employer. And at the same time, they know how it's going to impact these people mm-hmm. that they are or are not going to allow through. Um, but not doing it so fast that it is jarring and basically – uh <laughs> breaks that person's immediate ability to just um to to continue through that experience and yeah uh, well i think
1: what that one did is it it made you wonder can i beat it can i make enough money to save my family and also make some good decisions and co- yeah. so it kept you sucked in in some way or form that said like a lot of people i think don't finish the game they're like okay i get it and then they move mm. on and there are,
2: there are
3: <laughs> yeah there are multiple endings to the game though. Yeah. so yeah uh, i was very similar game i played recently it's called neocab mm. um and it is a game where it's sort of a dystopian future where you are cab driver mm-hmm. and the majority of the game is that you choose who you're going to pick up in your cab mm-hmm. and they're they talk to you while they're there yeah but there's um there's sort of a tesla-like corporation where like people don't believe human drivers are safe anymore yeah and you're very like you're like one of the last people that is still like a human uh, driver oh and everybody else happen. (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's it's actually really well written really great world building Mm -hmm. so on the higher level you've entered a city where people are like oh, I can't believe I have to take this death trap. Like, I'm only doing this because of this situation. And you're like, yeah, that's insulting, you know. Um, (laughs) And you learn a lot about these, like, really interesting characters, like, in your car. But there's also a meta, there is a game where, like, at the end of the night, I mean, you have to pay for gas, and you have to um, pay for your lodging every night, so you have to oh. decide: Am I going to use the capsule hotel, which is also owned by the same corporation? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or am I going to pay more money to stay at this kind of Airbnb-style house with this real person?
4: Yeah. Not support my enemy effectively. Or yeah. That are trying. To-
3: and uh, I really recommend this game, Neo Cab, because okay. it, on a personal level, the story of your character is essentially she has a best friend, and she's so excited to move here, but mm-hmm. your best friend is making a lot of. Questions questionable decisions mm. and um, you're kind of in this situation where you're like is she gaslighting me is she actually <laughs> a good friend Jeez. and your mood changes and when your mood changes too much you actually you as a person like as a player cannot make the choice that you know is right for the character no. oh, um, that's, that's so, like that's, that's, that's a, a mechanic. mechanic yeah because mm-hmm. it, because and it's actually part of the story as well because you wear a mood bracelet that shows your you can mood. see when you're going to make impo- uh, poor decisions oh, is- and other people can see it too. Too, yeah. when they're in the cab with you, so they could be like, "Oh, I pissed you off right then." Uh,
0: <laughs> That's really I see cool. that offended you that a bit. Is a great mechanic. <laughs> I yeah. do not
1: wow. want to wear. <laughs> yes,
2: <Yeah.
3: laughs> and and yeah. So there is sort of like wow. there is a anarchy happening, and yeah. you can kind of choose for yourself how much you want to get involved. But your character has this realistic: I only have so much money. Mm-hmm. You could lose, like, if you don't get a high enough rating. You won't be able to pick up certain passengers. So yeah. you actually have to, you might have to be nice to someone mm-hmm. that you think is a jerk so that they give you a five-star rating. Yeah,
4: try not to actually get angry. Yeah, according yeah. To your mood I, it's a, I just, yeah, I
3: recommend it. It's a really great game.
4: And and then, the, then there's the meta question of really, should you be fighting the system? Because more people are going to die if you drive your cab. <laughs> 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 Statistically, more people are going to die if you drive your <laughs> cab.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, that's what they believe in the game as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that,
4: that probably is interesting. A reality. Yeah, it's gonna be a big fight when it comes around.
3: <laughs> so,
1: Miko, you like experiences like this, you seek them out. Um, and I'm I want to know why you do and what you get out of it because I think that the debate with this is like going back to kind of the whole like vegan thing and that uh, yeah. slaughterhouse experience and empathy. I feel like. VR is obviously everyone... Empathy, speaking of overused terms, uh, empathy Mm. is a huge one that (laughs) everyone talks about in VR. And by the way... VR is not the only thing that <laughs> creates empathy.
4: Yes, we got these like, things called books. Empathy. Yeah, we
1: have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, or, yes, Mike, I knew this is why we were friends.
4: Because
1: yes. <laughs> I'm just like, what? It's not like the first thing we've ever had. Everyone's like, no. oh, suddenly now no. we can teach people how to get in the minds of others. No, I'm like, what? it's
0: just, it's effective storytelling or like real conversation. Interestingly, I feel like person. books are actually
4: probably closer, like a bigger ability to generate empathy than I think most other mediums since then. Just in the sense that I feel like because you're creating an entire experience. Oh, in your mind, this, uh... I actually feel like they tend to be more empathy driving for yeah. me at least mm-hmm. than oh, movies or songs or other yeah. things. So mm-hmm.
1: Oh my God. Okay. So many questions there. Let's let's this come is, back yeah, to that one. Because I point. do want to hear it because it's like all related, which is like, okay, well, this is what's going on in my brain right now. So I'm just gonna vocalize it. I'm like, okay, well, like how do you create empathy? But then like in a lot of cases, I mean empathy has a range of like okay well I can be empathetic to something really small that doesn't matter as much versus something really big
4: mm-hmm. and we're
1: talking about some of the bigger things like shootings and murderings and affecting people's lives and and all of this stuff and that's where it can be like okay where is that line how do we balance and create experiences that are that are um helping us with empathy, uh, and teaching us something without making us reject it or without, yeah. without making without it crossing creating that, trauma that or something like threshold. that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because just as a lot of this conversation started in the case of horror, well, it's so powerful in a lot of ways that, um, that we have to be careful with how we do it. Uh, but in the, in the, for you, Miko, you like those types of experiences that kind of create empathy in a way that for a lot of people is too aggressive. So why, why do you like that?
3: All right. How much more time do we have? Yeah, to I <laughs> um, Giant question. Yeah. Well, actually I do think it's sort of related to horror. One of the things I like about horror is that, um, really good horror, even if it's supernatural and yeah. it's about zombies or ghosts or something, mm-hmm. there's a, usually like a real truth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it
0: uncovers some sort of deep yeah, aspect. Yeah. I, I recently
3: um, read Haunting of Hill House, which oh, is yeah. a classic book by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. Also yeah. made into a show. Yeah, the yeah. show is yeah. amazing too. The show is amazing. And um, I was really struck by the novel because even though it's... Uh, about a haunted house. Hmm. It's really about
4: like... Relationships.
3: Yeah. And it's about (laughs) loneliness. I think it really like the main character is not likable and she doesn't fit in and she knows it. Okay. And I think it just really hit me with Mm. like that sort of like primal fear that I think many people have that like people in the room don't like me. I'm making a joke (laughs) and maybe they don't like what I'm saying. And she has a lot of this anxiety when she speaks to others that she knows Mm -hmm. she doesn't belong and she wants to belong so much. And um that's I think what makes that such a really good horror novel. Okay. Um, I think for me, actually i I don't know where it began, but I have um I've like had some trauma in my life, and creating things like writing and designing games have really helped me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I was just really inspired by the bravery that some people have when they put themselves out there. Um, there's a, a designer named Nina Freeman that I like a lot, and she made this game called Sybil, and it's a game about a relationship she had where she used to play an online MMO, and she was flirting with a guy, and eventually they had a relationship, oh. um, but it didn't end well, mm. and Nina does her own voice in the game, and she's stars in it. There's like video <laughs> of her flirting, yeah. like taking sexy selfies and stuff. And I thought that was so impressive, I think, too. To make a game that you put your own body and face and voice in that mm-hmm. is about an experience you had that it's like was straight
4: sad. up vulnerability, yeah, it's like the most mm-hmm. like exposing clear example. Yes, yep.
3: mm-hmm. and when you when you basically you play the MMO and you listen to them flirting with each other over voice chat, uh, and it feels like you're almost like um, voyeuristic.
0: Yeah, like you shouldn't be there. actually yeah. witnessing this yeah. this interaction.
3: Yeah, and I I just I think I just really get emotional about bravery mm-hmm. and about mm-hmm. how people put themselves out there because knowing that other it's so easy to laugh at something. Like it's so easy for others to mock something like that. Yeah. Um I made a game a couple years ago about my grandmother mm-hmm. in a hos- in a hospice. I was just about mm-hmm. to Call ask you about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and I did that because I want to make uh I uh, my father passed away when I was 18, and it took me a long time to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I, like, basically, this whole time have designed a game that helped me just the designing of it. Just to work me. through. Yeah. All of and yeah. I, you know, hope to be starting that seriously in the next couple of years. But I made Hospice because. It was she, you know, my grandmother getting sick and being in the hospice was the first time since then that I had a relative that mm. was in in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I, while we were there with her, um, it was an experience where she had a stroke, and um, you don't know if they can hear you or not. Right. Yeah. And so you're there, and if she can hear me, you're trying to put on a brave face, and mm-hmm. you're just telling her things that you experienced together. And then, because um, you think it's it's very possible she could wake up. I mean, people do. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so in that case, um, basically every night we would go home, and I would work in unity, and I was drawing the hospital room mm-hmm. and I was like recording sounds from the hallways. And that was kind right. of how I dealt with this because it was so hard mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made myself release that game because I wanted to be like these people that I really love that are so brave. That's amazing. And you're
0: just, like, willing to expose and externalize all of that very mm-hmm. internal turmoil and just difficult emotional
3: yeah, uh, and and the thing is that when you make a game like this, like another example that's much more famous than my name, <laughs> uh, That Dragon Cancer is about um, Ryan Green um, and his son who had cancer. He's only four years old. No, well. And I uh, I met him and I was, you know, I just, I feel like I actually have a long history of going to game events and crying in people's faces (laughs) because I'm like, you did something really important and like, it's It's really inspiring. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But like he, you know, he hugged me and and he does remember me and we chat sometimes on Twitter. um, And I just think like, you know, sometimes people don't play these games but they're glad they're there. Yeah. Like he told me lots of people didn't play his game because it was too too hard to play it. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw that as well. Um, there was a Kotaku article about my game and the mm-hmm. comments were a lot of people saying like, oh, I can't play this, but I've been there and I remember when this happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where we're really creating, you know, it's it's hard to explain, but I think sometimes you're just glad somebody put something into an experience yeah. and put it out there mm-hmm. because, like, we could put anything out there. We could yeah, put anything absolutely. out there as a game, as an experience, yeah. and the wider spectrum of that is fascinating. Yeah. That's where um,
0: things start to get actually interesting, like, away from the the typical norm of most experiences.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's a very short game, and it's, you know, I obviously make other things too. Um, and so I don't mind if if people don't play it, but I think it was just important for me as a creator to make it. And when other when I see other people doing something, and it's not something that maybe hits me really hard, because sometimes I can't play these games either. Right. Yeah, um, I want to be there too. Well, I know there's mm-hmm. a game Popo and Yo that's also similar. Um, it's a game about. Um, it was about the creator and how he dealt with his dad's alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But in, on the surface, it doesn't seem like that's very metaphorical. It's about a young boy who has a monster for a friend. Oh. And the uh. monster is often lazy and sleeping oh. and not doing much. But sometimes the monster is angry. Right. Right. And, um, I think that game is so beautiful, uh, and just really like, hit me home so mm-hmm. so yeah. I think it's just like I'm just so inspired and in awe of people that can make me feel something so deeply and I also think that games and I think this is true about VR experiences as well because you know on a little tangent i think maybe we we made a mistake by calling all interactive experiences games
0: yeah oh Um, yeah absolutely it's it's very it's very limiting and misleading about the range of experience that you can have
3: and so yeah so you know vr is often interactive but it's not it's not always a case where you're trying to win something right yeah yeah um i think that I think it's almost like if you just take a step back, it's almost a miracle that anything is ever finished. (laughs) Like, I mean, it takes art, music, writing, production, production. uh, technical expertise to Mm -hmm. make anything complete and out there. And, and as consumers, we just say, "Oh, that's funny." There's so many bugs in it, but yeah. Yeah, it's or, like yeah. really, you're just even lucky that it even happened, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> people yeah. say that about all kinds of different projects. I mean, whether it's a movie happening or a video mm-hmm. game, yeah, it's just it is so incredible that people actually manage to pull all of those different elements together and actually make something that was remotely compelling, right? At the end of the day,
1: and like with indie films uh in in games or interactive experiences a lot of the time it's a, a, a one individual or a very small team who is creating experiences that are these unique type of experiences that are not the first person shooter games and and they exist out there and it would be so easy for them to not exist because there's yep. not a lot of money in them mm-hmm. yep. um and it's it a takes harder path. a right it's yep. a really hard path but yeah, I just totally respect what you just said, Miko, because it—it it is – you have such a deep appreciation for the people that create those things because you know it wasn't easy. Not only – and we're talking about like just – actually executing the creation of a game but then like it is very emotionally straining to to create yeah Yeah. to create Mm -hmm. those types of vulnerable games so in what you were just talking about miko we have this like some experiences even if you do appreciate them and have a respect you might they might be triggering or or too close to home and that reminded me of uh i was at some conference listening to somebody talk about an experience uh, that had to do with uh, sexual harassment or it wasn't harassment. something um something that had to do with maybe sexual abuse either way it was a tough tough topic and uh it they were talking about triggering effects in games and that actually mm-hmm. when you Create a game that's like, oh, this is what this person went through. It's actually really risky because people that have been through that, Mm -hmm. it's um, triggering for them, which can have some serious damage and effects. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's really hard to figure out the right ways. Um, You you don't necessarily need to show that something happened. You can allude to it and still reach – the people who didn't go through it. It's like, you know, finding that balance between like, how much do I show versus not show where I'm having an impact, but not creating something that's too strong to the point where it's too uncomfortable or triggering. But what was fascinating about that is they said that the people who actually found it the most helpful, um, that appreciated it, were the the family and friends of somebody oh, who had been through that. Interesting. Yeah, and and I had a recent um, example of that as well, where somebody was talking about with medical VR how in I mean, this isn't story driven, but it's a similar concept where like this experience of uh, looking at complex brain surgery uh, that. It was a yes, like surgeons and, and doctors can use VR to see what they're doing. And yeah. but it was actually most helpful to the families of the patient to understand and visualize what was going on or what was going yeah. to happen. To see to their what loved that one. Their, yeah. their
0: loved one's gonna go through. Right. And that person was procedure. probably
1: too close to home. Like you don't want to look at what's what's wrong with you and what's happening with your brain, but yeah. somebody else has a really deep appreciation for understanding that and driving that, um, seeking that empathy to try and understand what you're going through mm-hmm. and and help you and know what to say and, and how to support you. And so in that way, I mean, even, even if like it's not uh, suitable for some people, I think no matter what it should be out there because it's suitable for some.
4: I think that the, uh, the other thing is that your aspect as a creator, that, that's kind of a fascinating thing that talking about how it helps you deal with the subject and go through it. I mean, art therapy has always been a huge thing. I've never heard of game creation therapy, but it's essentially the same scenario, even mm-hmm. more in detail because you're really breaking it down and thinking about it in an interactive way. So that that seems really fascinating. Like if you could have like workshops where people could... Just build make, games, build stuff. Up or there. at least be the originator of the idea and work through the design side of it and you yeah. have people to help them implement it and do those kind of things. Yeah, that like it is really good therapy type thing.
0: Yeah, because if you're just... If you're just painting or making music um, or a lot of like more traditional art forms, it's a lot more uh, straight from your mind into the medium, and a lot you don't have to kind of yep. computationally or like logically think through all of these different elements and how they're going to affect the people that that actually experience it at the end of the day. Whereas games force you to step into the shoes of your end user, your end right. player, right. And imagine how their experience of what you're building is and going kind of to be. kind of explain
4: your experience, and yeah. how it makes you voice your experience in a way yeah. that's very direct and very kind of literal. Yeah,
0: I, I, that's that makes sense why it would be so effective as a therapy mm-hmm. um, in going through something because you literally have to take that internal experience, fully externalize it, and put it outside of yourself, and then sort it out and break it down mm-hmm. to a degree that you would never do in. Most other circumstances, mm-hmm. um, whether you're writing or making a painting or something,
4: yeah. yeah, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think no matter what, when you're going through some sort of therapeutic experience, the whole point <laughs> is that it was difficult and painful for yeah. you. And when you're putting that out for others to experience, it's really up to them whether they, you know, want to go along with that with you and, and experience that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the the risk of I feel like I'm learning this as we're speaking the risk of uh well actually all so I I'm learning this as we're speaking because I struggled after I had feedback from that museum exhibit I mm-hmm. thought like I I wanted to distance myself from creating games that were too hard for people mm-hmm. and um one of the more recent feedback I had from it was I was applying for a contract to do a, a an empathy project actually for for hospitals who, um, uh, local hospitals who want to create an experience that trains their staff into how to empathize with uh, mentally ill patients.
2: Okay.
1: And um, so they wanted a a showcase of work that dealt with tough subjects. And some of their feedback, like, um, I went pretty far in that, but didn't get it. And some of their feedback on, uh, specifically on that experience that I shared with them is, that they like didn't get it granted they're not getting in the headset they're like watching a video of a playthrough right. so it does okay. not have the same effect
2: yeah but yeah.
1: nevertheless i mean you want to be able to show what that did and i think that they didn't you know they don't want their staff to feel they're going to be dealing with this exact same struggle you know like how do you how do you showcase mental illness and bring someone in without distancing them like how do you create connection there right and I think my project created some distance for people, and so they 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 just didn't get it. They thought, you know, they they didn't really get what I was trying to do, and that they thought that you needed like um, context outside of the game, like you needed hmm. to understand the whole short story and all of that in order to get it, and, and that it was about refugees. And it's like. Okay, maybe it was too abstract, but I think a lot of it was they just didn't like that you just have this, like, one path experience or whatever. Meanwhile, it's funny because they're going to be struggling with the very same thing, which is, like, they're yeah. not even actually creating interaction in theirs, but – um but anyways, I found myself being like, well, I don't want to create something like that again because if people, you know, if, if all I get is this kind of feedback where people don't like it's few and far between. Where people are like, yeah, that like really made sense, and yeah. I get what you were trying to do with that or whatever. Well, it's
0: hard not to focus on like you you want some sort of embrace or like positive engagement with yeah. what you're creating. Yeah, that's it's such a good <laughs> point. Yeah, it's like actually, <laughs> you, it's
1: such a good point because like when you put that um that like the headset on someone, you're like, okay, like this is like you know first big project, and I'm watching people. Go through it and then it's like i didn't actually think about the fact that it wasn't an enjoyable experience yeah, it's not, so it's not just a positive like, experience Yeah, people just it's, like take off the headset they're like okay thanks you know and walk away and i'm like oh, they're like internally scarred yeah right like this isn't fun for people you know yeah. um but anyways i think that uh there this is inspiring me that uh, you know i i do think that it's really important that those types of stories are shared And on any level, it's like what we were talking about with horror. I mean, some people are going to want like extreme, like drop me in and make me uncomfortable and all of that stuff. Um, And some people aren't, but...
0: There is an audience for that full range of content. Yeah. Regardless of how disturbing it may be for some, there are others that just based off of their their wide variety of life experiences across all humans, somebody might be interested in that thing. And just like we were talking about in the kitchen earlier about how... Um, all of these different kinds of content, whether it was blogs or podcasts now, have basically become so ubiquitous that you that enables the most random person to have a very niche topic, uh, or sort of experience in the in the interactive context that they create. And there might not be that many people that actually give a shit about it. And there might be lots of people that it actually offends, but somebody <laughs> out there is actually interested in that content. And I don't know if it necessarily makes sense that we should try to shut down (laughs) too much experimentation on the edges. Though this whole conversation kind of brings me back to the beginning of where we started here in the room, which was talking about the rating system um, of different kinds of content in movies and then in interactive mediums like games. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more on how those systems, those existing uh, censorship or sort of categorization of the intensity or severity of content and the types of triggers that they will hold how are those old systems uh ineffective when it comes to vr and thinking through how we might be able to to uh, categorize that a little bit better when it comes to this these, this, very potentially intense medium.
3: Yeah, you yeah. reminded me. I feel like, again, I feel like I want to look it up That's because fine. I don't know exactly do it. what it That's is. Um, but my friend told me about this website called Does the Dog Die? Oh. Do you guys know about this? No. <laughs> Um, but it is what?
4: always the question when you have a dog in any any of story. I think that's they're what gonna it is. They're going to kill the dog to hurt you. Yeah. So oh, they it is, know they're going to do it. <laughs> it is
3: com. Okay. And it is a site people go to. Yeah. Um, and it's not just, actually, they have a lot of different things in here. Animal abuse, addiction. Oh my bones breaking, nuclear explosions. Whoa. Uh, and so it's a place <laughs> that you go. And wow. I think if you're thinking about seeing a movie.
4: Yeah. You can check uh, to see if your horror scenarios going to happen. Yeah. Like your um, particular triggers. yeah. I
3: mean, we had a recent wow. kind of traumatic situation because we went to see the second It movie. Oh. And I like, I guess I like horror a lot. Yeah. And I like uh, Stephen King. I had forgotten that in It there was a uh, scene where a gay person was murdered. Oh. And they really traumatically show that at the beginning of that oh, movie. Wow. And I don't feel bad spoiling that because I don't want people to go in like, like we if did. That's something that's going to trigger you. It was hor- <laughs> like really too real too traumatizing and yeah. it made it really hard for us to enjoy the rest of the movie yep. mm-hmm. because Yeah, because when i think dwell of on that it is a very yeah. spectacle kind of concept i mean yeah. it's this clown that can turn into other kind of fantastical horror things yeah um and i know what he was trying to do and i know why they thought they wanted in the movie but i i do think that it was probably not appropriate to go to make it so intense mm-hmm. um because it was such real life horror yeah. Uh,
4: yeah i think that i think a lot of times there's a there's a technique in a lot of horror films to do things that intentionally make you feel extremely uncomfortable right at the beginning things that don't necessarily think seem like part of the part of the horror film they're just just to put you in a really bad state of being so that yeah. you're unsettled and so that you're easier to put out of sorts so Mm. they probably did it intentionally but it's Uh, yeah it's a lot
3: (laughs) yeah Yeah, and i think what you're i don't know i I heard about this this website from my friend and i think it's a really good idea if there's things that you know you can't see and you don't want to be surprised by seeing them Mm -hmm. and i think um you know i'm half japanese american and Mm -hmm. i i feel like i don't i don't enjoy it when i like i'm watching a comedy show and there's like sudden racism you know like i would just want to kind of i mean there's obviously people in comedy are are often pushing barriers it's Um,
0: it's all about pushing that that comfort zone just enough yeah you're uncomfortable, but not so uncomfortable that that's no longer funny.
3: Yeah, and that's like a huge, I'm, you know, raging topic. I'm yeah. sure, but like, I think it's just, I think it's, it's sad because I think a lot of people do have certain things that they don't want in their life because mm-hmm. they have experienced them, and um, they want to know if they, you know, they don't want to do some. it actually kind of comes back to the dissonance thing. Mm. Like yeah. if you think you're getting with it. I Ludo think I'm getting a distance. very supernatural kind of horror, uh-huh. and I and there's a and I knew there was going to be a domestic abuse scene because I remember that, but I didn't remember the gay scene. Okay. Um. Uh. And I just think like it was both of those were very intense in the movie and I think right. the way they present the movie if you've never read the book is like there's a clown you know it's and yeah, people I mean, do
1: even as you're telling me this I'm like whoa I had no clue that all that I, stuff I I had, I didn't
4: either. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I think that's one of the interesting things too is when people are designing um, in general when they're designing experiences too they're coming from their particular frame and perspective and so mm-hmm where that line is varies completely for the viewer varies completely based on their yeah. experience it's and wholly subjective yeah and it's i think in in general there's you know that's a historically problematic thing where most of the stories are being told from a very limited perspective mm-hmm. and that limited perspective doesn't have those kind of triggers like it's generally white men telling the stories and most of the stuff has come from that scenario and and so there's just like getting to the point where we understand that that's that's a real issue, like that it's really like there's not a diversity of stories. Mm-hmm. So there's not a diversity of understandings of those different triggers and those scenarios and until we get it, we're not it's gonna there's gonna be a whole disconnect there that people don't get between the artist and the and the viewer. and yeah. you have to understand those things and think about them. But
1: yeah, which I think obviously just comes to having different types of people feel enabled to create and write and all of that and mm-hmm. And I think within the within VR, we were talking about a little bit about this earlier. There's there's this risk of I mean, if the gaming it's largely built off of the gaming industry. And the gaming industry was largely built off of particular people and um, rewarded for creating particular experiences. Yeah. And that means that these people have built up the confidence and the skill sets that translate very closely and directly to what's needed in VR. Yeah. And it just happen
0: to be the perfect fit of of expertise.
1: Right. And so we do have this opportunity where there's a new medium, and you can uh, kind of see. Start over, you know, um, and and try to involve more people. But the problem is that it's just like anything else base. in history. It's like a skill based <laughs> thing, where all of the people with the right skills are coming from a particular industry that has a whole history, and it's like the same thing we see over and over again. There's no such thing as starting over.
0: But there, there's no such thing as a in in this kind of like transmission of previous media and influence and culture into the the new technology um, because it's still people making it who were influenced by what came before and they're carrying their old ideas into the new medium. So this idea of VR being a completely blank slate is kind of a misnomer. Like we're going to have to proactively work to actually uh, discourage and, and shift the cultural direction of, uh, of the industry moving forward. And then it's, there's also the problem with it, that that it, it's touching so many other industries that uh, <laughs> we're going to take that sort of we, it, we're at risk of taking that the toxic as- aspects of the game industry and then carrying them into all of these mm-hmm. other contexts that we're we're bringing people into when we use these kinds of technologies and build experiences in VR.
4: And I think like championing like like. Yeah just like this podcast is doing right now. And like Miko is doing like championing very specific experiences that are from other perspectives and doing Mm -hmm. a lot of work to get to not just help that person, Mm -hmm. but that helps anyone who's like an up and coming, you know, coming out of school or even in school and like hearing what they could be doing. Like that's, even if they end up just doing that as a random off project at some point Mm -hmm. or even never do it, just the inspiration to know that you could, carry your that your perspective is invited and there are people who appreciate it and want it just drive people like get people to be able to come and share their thoughts and experiences because that sense of belonging is massive massive problem and and always has been in the game industry for anybody who is not fit into that dominant narrative i think that the best thing that we can do as
0: an industry is really just continue to uplift and encourage people that are trying to create things that are unconventional or don't sort of fit into that typical uh, industry category or in, in those areas that are more easily adopted by um, any sort of investment or, or mm-hmm. publishing capabilities. It's like any of these individuals that you've talked about for the last couple hours that basically went out on a limb and did something by themselves or independently pursued a project that was creating a ludonarrative dissonance um, in or- as well a story done. element. <laughs>
1: nice use of the term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Well> did. <done. laughs>
3: I hope you're. I learned.
0: Keep- <laughs> I learned a new word today, and I'm yeah. proud.
3: <laughs> I want to hear a count of how many times we've oh, said God. it in this episode.
0: Yeah, in the intro, I'm we need make to make Tam like, to
3: this one. He'll be like, Ugh. "Just,
0: just FYI, we used this word seven times in this episode." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look um, it up. <laughs> yeah, but like it's basically. Um, I think we were just we were talking about like um, just really encouraging more um, interesting development in people that are doing unconventional things. But um, how do
1: you encourage yeah. that? Because like the problem is we're all about talk, you know, and <coughs> I mean, what does that actually look like? Because to me, all I know is to to help create awareness, right? So like one of the goals for this podcast, I want people to know that these types of experiences exist out there or that, or that when you are thinking of creating experiences or maybe thinking of buying experiences that there are things out there. It's like telling people about a movie that moved you or a book that changed your life if you don't tell people about it or make people aware, then they might just read like what's on the New York times bestsellers or something, which isn't always the ones that are the, the ones that literally can change you as a human being. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. or speak to your heart. And so for me, it's like more of an awareness thing. And I personally, you know, want to, I, I support people by like buying their games and Mm -hmm. support, you know, money or trying to help artists by like commissioning art or whatever it is. So there's like a money aspect. Um, but I guess it's like there's those levels of like maybe there's somebody who has no money. Well, what do they do? And then with people who do have a lot of money and power, I think it's like pretty obvious. It's like, okay, hopefully they're, you know, hiring people and, and yeah. guiding people and training them and all of that. But for a lot of the people that care about it, they might not have that, that power and that money.
0: Well, I feel like it, it depends just on like what any individual's abilities are. Because if it's somebody – if you're somebody that has um, like a network – then that is the thing that you can share with people that don't necessarily have the money or resources to, to put together some sort of huge project. I think Kira in a previous episode mm-hmm. uh, was talking about how this whole culture in, uh, in New York where she was developing or creating a lot of these projects, there was a culture of just helping one another out and lending equipment and mm-hmm. really trying to help upstarts happen even if they didn't already have the means to, to do that. Um, so like it's very early on in an industry like this, like that 's just important that, that that sort of mentality keeps on being ingrained in the culture, yeah versus maybe like how Hollywood has gotten to this point, or uh, the music industry and lots of other incumbents that it's more it 's more competitive essentially once it reaches that sort of critical mass.
1: Yeah. Well, Mike, you work in a lot of stuff like this. I mean, you like are introducing me to things like little art studios that just like bring people in for free that just like let them create art. You also yeah. care a lot about um, social impact and you volunteer a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. how, do, how do you feel like you are supporting this type of stuff?
4: I mean, I'm definitely a, I mean, a large part of it is that I'm just simply taking skills that come from a life of privilege and access to those things and mm-hmm. then and then using those skills as a volunteer yeah i think there's also i think it's it's a super difficult problem to do any kind of significant size project though because that's just the reality is it takes a lot of time and effort and mm-hmm. if you can't pay people to do that stuff and in the way that our system is structured it's very difficult to get it done so yeah. i i think that i think that there are a lot of good you know we've got a lot of crowdfunding type things these days which is definitely a an interesting way to democratize some of that stuff and push it out there. Um, we've kind of lost a lot of the, the awesome part, which was, we used to have a lot of publicly funded grants, and a lot of arts grants and a lot of other things. And I feel like a lot of that has disappeared over the years. So there's a lot less of that to help push things that are not in the public interest, but not profitable. Do you um, mean
1: in general or in a, in the VR, like XR industry? Or? No, I mean in general, I mean okay, in yeah. the arts. And yeah, okay. Um,
4: I think that in particularly in the United States, um, that, that, there has just been declining support for that stuff. And yeah. it's been hugely Im- negatively impactful to a lot of things that are really amazing for the public good, but aren't viable products in the same way.
0: Yeah. They're um, they're more, it's not as straightforward to quantify that sort of like business case or yeah. monetary impact.
4: Absolutely. I think that in, there's also just, just having going out there and, and connecting with people and letting them know that there's, there are opportunities to do things like the, the recently I did that, um, The iTech inclusion symposium thing where we just went and showed VR to a bunch of kids who are are in uh, schools that have underrepresented populations. And so they just – just seeing it and knowing that, hey, there's a career path here. There are things Mm -hmm. you could do. You could get into Mm -hmm. those kind of things. Um, So being a person that's in that environment physically. Like giving money is great. It helps with things. It does stuff. But it doesn't – Ultimately, it's not a real face, and it's not a real point of connection, and you can't do anything. So, like, yeah, you know, when I've gone to these things and done these things, I give out my info and I let people contact me, in and then I try to help them um, get just make the connection and do those things. So Yeah, um, and and all of that, all of that's also rewarding. So that's part of the thing I think a lot of people don't understand is they don't. Want, it's one thing to say that I'm volunteering to do this to help someone; it's also helping me every time I do those things. I think in general, if people understood that. There is a huge sense of reward and connection and benefit that comes from that. Like all of these things are helpful to all of us. We just have to actually spend the time and effort to get into it and take the step to do it, mm-hmm. um, and then they, it's amazing. Like and and it's super appreciated and very very beneficial to everyone involved. So
1: so much of it too is. One on one, like small interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, like even with both of you, I mean, Mike, you took me to this like art studio literally last week, and it's like, oh, you can just come here and create art. And it was one of the most like diverse rooms I've ever seen in Seattle. Yeah, and and I was, and it was amazing because people Blue are just Cone there. Studios. It's called <laughs> yeah Blue Cone Studios, um, and it's on what like eleventh? What is it?
4: Oh, I think it's eleventh. Yeah, eleventh between. It's Pine, above Queer Pine Bar and Pine and Pine. in yep. Seattle, mm. and
1: there's this thing called Tea Tuesdays or Tuesday Tea.
4: Mm-hmm. Tuesday tea. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: Tuesday tea, and and you can just like have, uh, and anyone can go in and like just use the art supplies that are provided or bring their own and just like do whatever they want. It's just like a good old time and everyone's squeezing in. Like it's not, it's a small place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you just even showing me that was like me getting exposure to a whole part of Seattle and Capitol Hill that I that I don't have exposure to, yep. which means exposure to people, exposure to ideas that like, oh, these people just come here to create art because it makes them feel better and they're sharing something with each other. Yep. And I come from like a business finance background. So that is, that type of stuff is like really uh, meaningful to me because I didn't come from a lot of exposure to that. Yeah. Um, and then Miko, like with you, uh, y- your support just like, you know, emotionally about the, the project I was working on and, and showing me different examples of things that already exist. I mean, and and the things that you've done like with, with – uh, I mean Code Romantic is like teaching – it's one of your games that teaches people to code but also shows this like woman who's badass and falling in love but also coding. And like it's this really unique experience and the same with the hospice and everything else you do. And just like through Thank what you, you do, um, it yeah. shows me – like i'm like oh i connect with that i don't connect with so many other games which is why i don't identify typically as a gamer but yeah. it's like i didn't know that those types of experiences existed
3: yeah so um coder manic is a visual novel we're making and it's like my my idea was like coding can be very intimidating Mm. and a lot of people actually what I was going to say even before you mentioned it was that like I think a lot of people shut doors for themselves Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. anyone else does.
0: There's a self-filtering effect.
3: Yeah. And even like meeting you and my friend Gisela I realized that like I had never thought of myself like I could make a movie. Mm. And like, and and I thought I'm a really like independent person. Like mm-hmm. I make games, I write, I went to grad school. But I realized somewhere along the way, I just thought, oh, I could never make a movie and just shut that door closed. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and uh and so why I wanted to make this game, Coder Manic, which uh, we're we're getting pretty close to shipping, is um I think a lot of people just think coding is very intimidating mm-hmm. and that they could never do it. And I, I saw a lot of programming games that Are pretty awesome, but I think also people who are playing them already know how to code. (laughs) They're like, this is super fun. I'm going to like write an assembler (laughs) or whatever. whatever. It's already Uh, intuitive. Yeah, which is totally cool too. I'm excited about that as well. Um,
4: but, but it's uh, a different experience. Yeah.
3: yeah so like yep. we have sort of an outrageous idea, which is a post-apocalyptic love story that teaches UCS one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, when I started it, I was pretty nervous, and um, and sometimes people would be like, "Who's gonna play that?" And then eventually, I was like, "Well, I I wanted Kelly. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, i really play it. gonna play.
3: It. Yeah. Good. We need beta testers.
2: Well, so, learn so, computer uh,
0: science in the post." Apocalypse Yeah
3: <laughs> Falling in love um, I think then I think what really Like I realized Was it was like The game I wanted When I was 12 mm. When I started making Websites When I took my first C++ class and everybody else was like a boy that was sixteen, and with thought it was really offensive that twelve-year-old girl was in their like little summer class.
0: Uh, yeah, I like felt threatened by. Yeah,
3: like, and was like she hasn't even done don't. any coding before. It's like yeah, I know that's why I'm in this that's class
0: why I'm here. <laughs> I mean, <yeah>. Jeez.
3: Um, <laughs> what a and, concept! And then like you know just like going to school and. Constantly feeling like I wasn't a very good programmer and telling myself Mm -hmm. that. Almost the way that you keep saying, oh, I'm not really a gamer. I think we can tell ourselves these things Mm -hmm. and internalize them because other people act very confident and very arrogant sometimes. But then, like, in the end, I I did end up getting my PhD in computer science. So that was, like, sort of my way of being like, hey, like those (laughs) people who, like, made fun of me or called me stupid and to my face even and stuff, like, in school, like you don't get to define who I become, you know?
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, so I think, like, I just felt like it was a way to – introduce a different group of people right and i was like hey what if you liked reading this romance story so much (laughs) that you would even learn how to code to find out what happens at (laughs) the end
2: that is awesome yeah
3: thank you so much i mean i don't know what's gonna happen right it's gonna release pretty soon okay and it's very niche you know we talked about that already um But I think I just like, to me, I just feel like I care so much about experiences that teach other people, like basically help others empower themselves. Yeah. Um yeah. whether it's something like what you're talking about, like with the arts like having a space where people can just come and do art, I think that's another case where a lot of people tell themselves
4: I'm not an mm-hmm. artist. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm not, I'll not creative. I'll never enough. be good. Yeah. I'm not it's, creative. It's, it's almost everybody that comes to the door. I'm not an artist, but and you're like, well, sit down and do some art and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ignore that statement.
0: Yeah, like lift that filter yeah. and allow yourself to be to play a yep. bit.
3: Yeah. And I think for VR I I think if people are listening to this and they're new to this whole space, the XR space, and they're just thinking like, I don't have the technical skills or I don't have the like game design skills or I don't have this. Like, I mean, you don't have to do it all yourself, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) Like, I think that's a really valuable lesson and it is, it is hard. The technical Uh, boundaries are there and it is challenging, but I, I hope there are people that, are are interested in partnering with people that have unique perspectives and helping them be successful.
4: Yeah. I think it's interesting that, like, there's this, it is, like, all of it is difficult. It's challenging. It's very complicated information. You know, in the end, what you're doing is a pretty complicated thing. It's a complex um, process. Um, it's to, a complex process, and there's a lot of different skills involved. But at the same time, every little bit of it is interesting, mm-hmm. and all of it is interesting to learn. Mm-hmm. So, you know most jobs are hard. They're just hard because they're arduous or they're different, like you spend a lot of time doing something or even they're mundane, like you're doing the same thing yeah. over and over and over. Like if you just take that same amount of time that you put into doing that job that's arduous or mundane or not, in- but not enjoyable to you and spend your time and all of that time learning these things, each of those little steps, you'll learn it eventually and then you have the skill. I think it's it's often easy to look at that end result and be like, oh, that's too complex. I can't ever do it. But if you just yeah. start from step after step, it it eventually happens. Yeah. And I think that's just encouraging people to take the first step and actually start doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll quickly learn, oh, I just learned like 20 skills today and now I can do this new thing. Yeah. And then it's very quickly rewarding. And I think, especially these days, because it's, anyone can get All of the free tools, like this was not, when I was growing up, there was no access to, you had to pirate anything if you wanted to get it because it was like, oh, I'm going to pay $5,000 for this piece of 3D software. (laughs) Now you can get free pretty much every single thing you need to make a game, including a VR product. And you can do that all yourself with a little group of friends for free. Um And build something and even get it published onto a platform without ever paying a single cent on any of the things you're working with. So that's – I mean it's just amazing how accessible it is. And there's YouTube videos for pretty much anything you could ever want to do. Yeah. yeah. So like that's just crazy. That's a crazy world of access, access that we never had before. It's
0: yeah. also a lot easier to find other groups or like yep. a community of people mm-hmm. that are into that particular thing or tool set or whatever it is. Yep. Um, even if it's not like locally in the area that someone lives, it's like you can find uh, communities online that exist. There's even like if you wanted to start your own meetup, you use something. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. you use that I have one. And, I and, don't do a very good job of actually yeah. using it. But Which I is one is yours?
4: I have one. called Digital Artists of Seattle. Okay. Meetup. Nice. Well, but, I
1: actually think that the meeting people part is hard.
4: It Um, it is. Because
1: uh, I feel like I have a lot of ideas (laughs) and I want a team of people to to do those things with me. But Mm. I also don't want that team to be like people telling me I'm dumb and and can't code. You know, like I want to learn. I'm very envious of the stories you hear of like – Um, like I just met someone helping coordinate for a film festival where they, uh, I was helping and they were a filmmaker and they are like, yeah, it's just so cool. Like me and all my friends, they happen to want to be a a producer. I want to be a director like, and they build it all together. And like, you're totally right, Miko. You don't need to do it alone. In fact, it's just so much better to work with people. You, you, you're looking at years and years of challenge working solo, Mm -hmm. um, like that guy, uh, Luke. Lucas, whatever. Um, Lucas it's Poe. impressive when Lucas somebody Poe. can do that. Super but... impressive. Um, but yeah, you're you're. It's really hard, uh, and so you almost have to. And that's actually what attracts me to things like filmmaking and things like game creating games because uh, or interactive experiences because you literally cannot do it alone. You mm-hmm. you have yeah. to have a team of people. I mean, you can get creative with certain things uh, to to limit the amount of roles you need right. to produce a, a, a product, but. Um, But I find that, like, I started going to hackathons, but the hackathons, I got too intimidated. Like, some people have really good experiences, but I felt like I was, like, being chosen for the softball team again and being picked last because Mm -hmm. I didn't know – what I was doing and I didn't know what yeah. I could offer. And if, if you're someone who, especially at the start of VR, it's like, if you didn't know how to code, everyone was like, well, what's your use to me? If you yeah. can't draw and you can't code, like you're useless, you know? <laughs> um, and so, so I think as you're trying to learn and, and figure these things out on your own, it can be hard to find, to find people mm, um, who have the time availability, who are willing to learn and work for free and like have the same ideas as you. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess that that's an interesting point in the sense that like even I'm just curious of like, okay, what are the best ways to meet people, you know? And I guess it is just like constantly putting yourself out there and just like going to hackathons or things like that, meetups, and yeah. you might never – you might like each one might be zero people or one person, one potential, and it, it takes a while. It's though. kind
3: of a cautionary tale Yeah, what <laughs> I mean, you're saying. I mean when you enter into a – um Project with mm-hmm. a team. Yeah. It's sort of like a marriage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah, if you sure. hope that you're Literally make money. for you, Miko. Yeah. Well, <laughs> know. You're taking a bet together. This is and- like, he's heard this story so many times, so he won't be surprised I say this. But I mean, when I met my <laughs> now husband, mm-hmm. it was like, wow, he can dance and he's a great programmer that's easy to work with.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge milestone. And, right that there. is an outlier. And I was like, right hmm. And
3: then, and yeah, and then he wanted, he, he like listened to me tell my like story ideas. So I was like, we're done here. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> all good. This is, it's like, not going to get any better than this. Check that box. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, that's just for me and everyone's different, but for me, I mean, I think what I wanted out of a relationship was somebody I could make things with mm-hmm. and yeah. that's what he wanted to. Collaborate with him. You know, I think other yeah. people's relationships may be different, but, um, you know, but let's say you're not going to, you know, marry the person that you're going to make right. a game <laughs> yeah. or a VR project Probably with. Probably a
4: small <laughs> fraction
3: there. Yeah, that's, a, with. that's uh, an edge case. No, I think like, the re- you know, I was just talking to someone the other day who's a writer and he wants to hire a comic book artist. Who, uh-huh. He has a script and he mm-hmm. wants to hire an artist. And we were talking about it because... um you know, I was saying like, you know, if you're committed to this idea, so you do have to kind of almost like a prenup establish up front <laughs> if the partnership yeah, that ends. Stuff's rough too. Yeah. Do I you yep. still own do you still own your IP and yep. make that clear? Um, you know, are they making any royalty on the comic book? Should yep. it make mm-hmm. money? Like all this stuff. And no one wants to think about that when you meet yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. meet up and you're like, Hey, maybe we could do something it's together. Like, hey, you know, it like kills in- the buzz
0: Okay ever ends. Yeah. I always bring my contracts, logistics. you know. Yeah, that's the reality of it. Well, it is
1: like dating. I mean, yeah. literally, because you're like, you can't just be like, all right, like, I mean, some people will do this, and if they're both on the same page, cool, but if you're just like going on, you know, like Coffee Meets Bagel or whatever that's stuff, you meet, you meet them for the first time, and you're like, okay, do you want kids? What's your feeling on this? You yeah, right. know, like... I mean, it's
0: just <laughs> <straight> <laughs> into the Here's the, in the pool on my dating uh-huh. profile. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I I think it's, it's a problem that you didn't feel invited at the hackathon or at a game jam, and that's yeah. too bad mm-hmm. but i do often uh I, I give advice to people that um if there's someone that you're like i think i could work with this person mm-hmm. doing a game jam or a hackathon or a film oh, uh, weekend it's yeah. a
4: great way yeah. to check mm-hmm. it out yeah. yeah
3: because it's like you're you know what you're like five minute movie that you make this weekend's probably not going to be a smash <laughs> <laughs> but you
2: think you'll yeah.
0: find
3: out real quickly do you guys like working together
2: yeah yep that's um,
3: for sure
4: actually a, a I've had that more happen. Important.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> that Where it pressure... was like
1: good that we tested it that way cuz so I was like yeah okay never mind. Yep. Yeah.
4: they <laughs> like pressure of success thing and and particularly just the nature of there have been a good number of examples of things that have blown up or done really well from a small product and I think that it's like a lot of things you get this weird thing in your brain like every single one could do that and it's hard because if you're trying to make your life of games you're like I I, I really need all of them to do that. I want one of them to do that. And so yeah. you start really kind of jumping into the this long-term success picture before you've even started making the thing. And you're like, I don't even – I don't know if it's going to be good or not. Yeah, but.
0: For, for every idea too. Yeah. Like it's very difficult not to become emotionally invested in every single one of those possibilities turning into the ultimate dream mm-hmm. for it. Which I mean – that that in in itself stops so many people from even trying to make yeah. something happen. Yeah. Just the possibility of failing.
1: Right. I just had good advice <laughs> from once again Tam. I feel like I'm dedicating this episode to Tam. I don't know if I should be like <laughs> using his name. Like I don't know if that's a bad thing. But, um, I was talking to him about coding and I have like all these ideas and he's like, just try it, take a really simple, like, take, um, uh, one of the like original 2D games and recreate it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I was like, I don't know, I remember Pong because, you know, I was like, that's the only thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, yep. like, take that and then break that down into, um, all of the various steps. And by the way, this is going to take you a long time. Like you think this is a simple Mm -hmm. game. It's going to take you a really long time. It's going to suck. You're going to build the whole thing and then realize you need to add something else and that you have to actually break the whole thing in order to add this thing and then redo it all. And he was just like talking to this and I'm like, man, like, I wish everyone did this for me on, like, you know, any project because he's so right. And literally, yeah. I, I, I'm i on, like, this video that's, like, creating Pong in 20 minutes on YouTube. which is 20 you know,
0: minutes. Yeah. yeah, like,
1: it takes him, <laughs> right. but I'm, like, you know, on minute eight, and it's taken me days because, like, everything broke from the start, you right.
0: know? And yeah.
2: it's
1: just, like... Oh, anyways, you're yeah. watching
3: a video called... Yeah. But I'm, Pong yeah, I'm watching a video. Pong in 20 I thought minutes. you had your own no. Pong no. video, and I was like, dang, that escalated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Then I created
1: in Twenty minutes, yeah. So, no. so did, so did that
4: did that help you then, or because I mean that is interesting. Like in some ways, he's framing it as this really difficult thing that yeah. you have this mountain you have yeah. to tackle. So you know.
1: I, it does. It's interesting. It does help me because, huh. um, and I've actually noticed this. I, I wish I had a, a another example because it's happened to me a lot. And I thought about that right after I had this talk with mm-hmm. him because. When somebody gives me everything and this is just me personally but uh when every when somebody gives me everything I'm up against it's like suddenly that equips me it's like when you finally write the project plan and you're like okay I can stop procrastinating and do it now I understand everything that's going to suck right now mm-hmm. like I think procrastination is you're not writing down the things that are the blockers and you're not writing down you're you're just avoiding the thought right because mm-hmm. you think it's going to be so hard but as soon mm-hmm. as somebody's like and, and I think for me, procrastination and especially in this case of of learning to code or, or struggling with that is I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm.
2: But mm-hmm. if somebody's
1: like, guaranteed you're gonna fail. Guaranteed, right. and yeah. these are the ways in which Yeah, yes. and, and these are the ways in which you're gonna fail, it makes me feel like, okay, when that happens. I was mentally prepared and I'm not going to feel stupid that I'm not getting it. I can kind of laugh at it that here I am on this video of creating Pong in 20 minutes and I'm on minute one and I just like literally fucked up like the file nomenclature so that I can't even like create my very first line of code and I had to figure that out, you know, what I was doing wrong. And so it broke in like minute one and I think that because I had that talk... I was just like, okay, like this is, this is what he it's told me. the normalcy
4: me. of it. Like, right. you, like humans have this great desire to feel like their experience is normal. And if they feel like they're too far outside of it, then they get down they get dejected or exactly get like if he hadn't told me that and i just go in blind
1: to saying oh i'm gonna do this in 20 minutes and that's mm-hmm. what i expect and I, it right.
4: takes me
2: uh, <laughs>
1: 20 <laughs> yeah, plus minutes to yourself. do minute oh. one then yeah so i think it, it was helpful but jay you were saying something there well, too,
0: it, yeah yeah i mean it's just it's a it's all about like how you're you had the situation framed psychologically going in Yeah. He basically laid it out as like, no, you're not going to do this really basic thing in a relatively basic process and manner. It's not going to be easy, even though everyone else is going to say, oh, yeah, I've done that before. Or, oh, yeah, you can do this in 20 minutes. Yeah. It's going to take you 100 times longer than that or whatever. Um, And if you're, for you at least, knowing that ahead of time, you're like, I'm not intimidated by the fact that it is a huge task for me where I'm at right now. I am in, I am immediately discouraged when I run up against problems I didn't expect to have yeah based on how I perceived other people right were exactly handling yeah that situation
1: yeah and I also think that like, all that ignored. I, I do think we like challenges as humans. And so if yeah. if somebody's like, hey, this is how bad it's going to be. I, know, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I've, <laughs> I tend, I have a total personality that if somebody tells me I can't do something, right. I do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if I think I can't do something, I'm immediately like, damn it, I have to do it now. Right. And so I have to keep <laughs> proving myself wrong. And so yeah. the more somebody tells me how hard it's going to be, I think I'm like, all oh, right, sweet. I cool. think it's,
4: it's like a good definitely challenge. one of the biggest <laughs> complications is that I think, you know, that's the reality. All humans are. We all we have a lot of variants of how we approach things and what makes mm-hmm. us want to do something and not. Yeah. So I think it's that like I think it's a lot of people when they're told they can't do something may actually accept it. Like it might be the opposite of that. They're totally, like, Oh, that's, yeah. that's And I think some I mean, people if they advice. see <laughs> a giant task in front of them are right. like, Oh I'm not even going to try to do that because it's way too complex and way yeah. too giant. Right. Yeah, right.
3: So yeah, I think
4: like tailoring that message is interesting. Like some people may react one way, some may react the other.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that you may actually be kind of special. Kind yeah, you feel <laughs> like, kind of unique in that way because um, I feel like most people. That's don't awesome. Know. I mean, I think, well, think
1: that's what my mom has always told me that I'm very unique and go. special.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, she was Ooh. right. Um, <laughs> I think like um, like Mike's saying, there's another class of people that if they can't do it perfect, they're like embarrassed oh, yeah. to have anyone see them in the process. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a great TED talk I like, and I, I often send this one to people too. Yeah. It's called mm-hmm. like uh, Bravery, Not Perfection. Mm-hmm. And it's because um, it is about like... Hey, you know, um, just because you're not going to be perfect the first time you do it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. And that's, it's more important that you tried and yeah. you'll do better the next time. Not only time. that,
4: if you want to be perfect, there's no way you'll get there unless you, I mean, you can't really get to
0: perfect. perfect. There's, yeah, it's not but, perfect. But it's perfect isn't you're in, not going to even get close
4: to perfect if you don't fi- fail in the first place. Right. Sure. Yeah. And
3: I, yeah. you know, you hear the variations of that advice many times. Mm-hmm. And we even kind of just touched on that earlier, yeah. but like you kind of have to fail to succeed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's embarrassing to fail, you know? Super, yeah. Um,
0: I like the analogy of the um, – there was a art teacher who had two different – like basically split his class into two sections and had one try to make a perfect pot um, for the entire semester. And then the other side of the class tried to make as many pots as possible. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, the ones that were just trying to do that repetition and, and, and kind of uh, go through those iterations – basically we're making far superior pots than the, than the side of the class that was trying to chase perfection the whole time but never mm-hmm. actually managed to make a successful pot by the end.
4: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that story is real, but it's a very, yeah, yeah. very it's good a, example. Yeah, it's an of anecdote that the reality. is – It
0: might be a real thing.
3: Surely yeah. someone's tried it now. because yeah, oh, yeah, that, right, cause yeah. it comes <laughs> up so
0: often. Well, you were, you were saying earlier that like that is a certain class of people. I Do you feel like you go through uh, stages of that, though? I feel like at least – I relate to this. I feel like you definitely relate to this at different points um, of going through cycles of feeling you have this idea, but you're not ready to do it yet. Or you don't know enough or your proficiency isn't where it needs to be. You just don't have the means to make it happen the way that you see it in your mind yet. Um, but then at some point you do, if you want to actually go forward with that, you have to accept where you're at at that moment and just start taking steps.
3: Yeah, I've, I've heard this talked about as meeting your own taste level. Mm-hmm. um so whether it's like art or writing or making games or making experiences or coding you have a taste level in all of these things mm-hmm. and one thing that can be really frustrating is like if you you know admire a really great you have a really high bar for what makes a good movie yeah and then you make your first <laughs> right. movie and you're like, and you're and like this is and and not like yeah you can tell you know what's wrong you just mm-hmm. don't know how to fix it yeah um and uh and it turns out that that's a really good thing because mm-hmm. if you didn't have the taste, you you'll never get there. You right. wouldn't even know it was bad. Um, <laughs> right? You'd just be like proud that you did it, and yeah. that's cool <laughs> too, right? But yeah, I mean, if you want to get better, then um, you, you wanna- actually
4: I think most artists at the beginning, like when you first start doing art, you're in that state where you don't really understand the, necessarily the scope or the quality. Yeah. So you yeah. just do things because you enjoy them, and you don't. Yeah. You're not comparative, but. Yeah. We very quickly get past that. Yeah, it's like you, you and...
0: eat the apple of knowledge and become aware of how uh different or or bad subjectively what yeah. you're doing is.
1: <laughs> I, where it's
0: not meeting the medium yet.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a lot about creating safe environments too. Mm-hmm. Like kind of coming back to our the, the topic of like uh you know, creating a better future in some ways and like starting with VR. Well, um creating safe environments because that type of that the taste like having that taste and having to meet it well that's really encouraged in school right mm-hmm. like when we're younger it's like you're not expected it's like you are a freshman you are level one we're yeah. all going to start here and then we're all going to move to this level and like there's some variation mm-hmm. but that is supposed to be a safe environment and like you're submitting works to a teacher
0: Yeah, you know you're allowed to not know things yet
1: yeah and yeah. like but the teacher is going to grade you and that's that's your vulnerability but it's like it's just the teacher sometimes students don't even your peers don't even see what you did and I know when I was getting into like filmmaking and, and writing and, and VR creation, I felt like so embarrassed to – it was like I was learning in front of everyone and I still am, you know. And I think that that is a, – it's a really hard thing to mm. get over. It's like I had to force myself to – put my work online as like a resume of sorts, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is like my freshman year project, you know, like why do I have to make this public? And everyone's judging me based off of this. And I feel like it's just having like, all of us creating a community of people, which is like, yo, that's totally fine. Like, Nico, I'll be the first person to watch your first movie <laughs> that you create, you know, because oh. it's just like, it, it's like, I totally get that, you know, and and I feel like we should be able to create that kind of student safe atmosphere for each other when we're older, mm-hmm. but we get stuck in like, now we're adults and now you're expected to have the skill sets and you, and, and. Yeah. People get kind of angry. I think that's where that competition comes yeah. from and what I encountered in some ways in, like, you know, um, hackathons and stuff. And I'm not, like, hating. I, I do like hackathons. But um, but I just mean that culture comes from, like, we are at this level and we're going to move in this level. If you're not here yet, like, what are you even doing in this industry, right? Yeah.
0: Like, there's an expected competency or or mask of proficiency and expertise that you should show in a lot of communities.
3: And but it's also like heavily leaning in only some of the disciplines. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I have like hearing your story about that ignites like sort of like older pet peeves of mine. Like um if you are a small studio or a small group of people, then you have to do more things but when I think about like where your strengths lie Kelly I feel like at a, if I had a multi-million dollar company and I was gonna hire you I, would, I wouldn't hire you to code like right. I would hire you for what you're great at <laughs> yeah. and I would yeah. expect we could hire someone who's an excellent programmer mm-hmm. that could right. implement your ideas yeah. and I think that that's really hard when you are kind of in this indie space you're in a kind mm-hmm. of uh, space that's not been proven to be hugely profitable or mainstream yet yeah. is that people say well if you to. To do this you better know how to code you better you know draw things yourself or whatever yeah. that may whatever that may be yeah um i don't know how i feel about that like i think it's exciting that you want to code and that you're learning it um but i also think that like if you were to join a big team that was already funded no one would expect that of totally you know? yeah. Yeah. right like, yeah yeah you yeah. would hire someone who's already that's their expertise yeah like
0: that's right. the area that they've dived they dove deep on and yeah, right,
1: which kind of goes back to the community thing because it's like, well, I do I, I do actually want to learn something about coding. And that's me personally. That's because um, it is such a uh, – it's like I studied finance. I actually never wanted to work in finance, but I thought like this is a fundamental thing in the world and I want to mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. how it works. And that's how I feel about coding. Yeah,
4: coding is definitely becoming just – it's ubiquitous, like every right. it's you do the, the yeah. language of everything we interact yeah. with these days,
1: right? And so, in some ways, I never expect to be an expert, but I do want to know some things about it. And um, but and so, you're totally right. I would never be expected, like I would never get hired, and to be a I, I would not want to be hired <laughs> in, to do a coding job. Yeah. Um, but if I want to experiment with storytelling and and game or interaction design within a, a VR experience. Well, if I'm just doing that on the side, then I need somebody else to code for me. And that goes back to the community thing. Like I'm lucky to have also a partner who helps me create things. But we're not always going to be on like the same page, have the same amount of time or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Um, But, yeah, it's like finding someone who's also interested and willing. You know, it goes back to the partnership thing, which I think takes time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Finding people that can fill in your strengths or your weaknesses.
4: Yeah. That weird inversion problem of like small indie groups needing – multi hat wearing people, like people with multiple skill sets. Yeah. That's a really weird, complex problem. Cause on one side you're like, well, you can't get hired for the big giant company because you don't yep. have the experience doing the thing. But then you in the place where you do want to feel like you could get a job, you don't have the multiple skill sets that are needed to solve the problems. And yeah. but I think I, I think that there it all depends a lot on whether there's this mentality that it's for the purpose of selling the product. Like if you're just doing something to have fun, people are a lot less concerned about a lot of those things a lot about the like level of competency or, or mm-hmm. skill set or things like that if it's more mm-hmm. for the purpose and that's why hackathons they tend to be more about the experience of doing it and less about the product that's generated yeah. and so I think that that helps that mentality helps for people who don't have necessarily a high end skill set yet but really want to participate and do things but mm-hmm. but yeah. I also think like you said it's there's depending on which one you go to and where you are and in also if you aren't you know, if the reality is if you're not a white male, there's tendency also to make it even harder for you to get into those spaces. So mm-hmm. I think that we need to create a scenario where people are a lot more invited into those environments. And we have – maybe we have le- levels. You know, maybe there is a – maybe there's like hackathons have a level of – I haven't actually done any, which is fascinating because that's oh. the type of stuff I love to do. But yeah. I've never done them. Yeah. Um, but. I don't, so I don't know if they do that, but if there were levels of like – It would
1: make sense. It's like
4: <laughs> when you yeah. go to yeah. basketball still, camp, so yeah. there are levels. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do have, are there – I mean, for people who have done them, do yeah, they
1: have those? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you like – you go into a level and actually if you're performing a specific way um, that doesn't meet that level, you change, meaning you can advance – they
4: um, Wait, are you talking about basketball? Or are you yeah. talking? Yeah, I'm talking oh, about yeah, I'm like in in like, like all in all yes. sports ever yes. or like yeah exactly sports, there every are sport levels, does So, that. <laughs> so it, okay. yeah, do they do well, that I'm, at hackathons? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> like a, the <laughs> pro level hackathons. I
1: just like really wanted to share my basketball yes. game knowledge.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Make it relevant. So yes, if you're not doing as well, you move to a different level. <laughs>
1: okay, but yeah, I've
3: never seen that in a
4: hackathon. Miko, have you done a lot of? Have you done many hackathon things?
3: I I haven't done a hackathon. I've done a lot of game jams. Oh, yeah. Um, both like in person and um, online. Um, One of my favorite lesser-known sources for game jams is Mm itch.io, which is an indie game website Mm -hmm. that's really cool. And what's cool is the way that they do their UI and everything is anybody can start a game jam, and you just have the most wild ideas for game jams. Crazy stuff! There is so much fun. There was one I really liked. It was actually like um, it was called Paper Jam, and (laughs) it's it's a like you write make things. Oh. You all, you can only use a single sheet of printer paper. It's not a video game. Wow! And you have to uh, basically you can make like a tabletop game, but all the rules are on it, and there's like pieces you can cut out off the bottom oh. or whatever. But whatever you decide to do, you can only use one sheet of paper. Oh, that's amazing! Wow. And and you know there's and then there's just fun like you know con i don't know there's just so many fun yeah. things that they do um and it's it's really cool because there's just so many like i'm sure if we checked right now there'd be 20 game jams happening right now yeah that's <laughs> true um, yeah and it's just very yeah i don't i don't know i mean i think part of it is like because i was always we've done some game jams right so we we made stuff and shipped it and mm-hmm. and did stuff with it but like um, because we always have so many projects, I haven't been doing so many now. Like yeah. being like, oh, I should stop the thing I'm in the middle of yeah. to yeah. go on. Totally, hackathon. I totally, yep. I totally agree. Yep. It's like
1: they, they're fun yeah. and great, but you have like a, a weekend where you're not getting any sleep, and you're just like, I'm already working on this project where like I'm I'm doing all the things that I would accomplish or try to get uh, you know gain out of the hackathon. Why would I spend my weekend like I'd rather get some sleep and all of that? So I feel like I, I totally get that approach. I feel like anything else, there's like a time and a place for integrating them into your life. Yeah. I, it's like I think you actually, Miko, were talking about like you go through phases of consumption versus um, pr-
3: production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. And I okay. feel like <laughs> I'm impressed how much you remember about me. <laughs> yeah.
0: She's good at well, that's that. an interesting She's idea because I've come back to that a number of times over the past few years. So what, what was the context of this conversation? So
3: it's uh, just something that I've noticed yeah. is that like for myself, I, I will like have like a month where I read a lot of books and play a lot of games and mm-hmm. watch a lot of movies. And I just like, I don't create anything. I just like obsessively yeah. consume. You're
0: absorbing rather yeah. than Yeah. And then
3: suddenly things. all of that stuff like snaps into place <laughs> and it like solves some design problem I had in a yeah. project. Yeah. And the next month I'll like barely read at all, but I'll just produce a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Um... And so it's I don't know if that's common with other people. I actually wish I, that
4: was more common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's like the problem you all have mentioned a couple times. I maybe before we actually got and started recording, but the the there's a really common problem in the game industry in particular where there's just not a lot of inputs a lot of times. Like uh-huh. people tend to recycle things or they just live on existing like Intellectual properties or existing mechanics yeah, or everything right. else. There's a lot of like build You never build get them. anything new. Whereas if you go and look at other sources and pull in information, that's how you build new ideas mm-hmm. and come up with new things. So. It's like
0: adding some fuel to the potential yep. uh, creative mm-hmm. energy that you yep. can produce things from. Yep. I, I, I keep on coming across this over the past uh, past year, especially since uh, beginning of 2018. I went to a software development bootcamp. Um, so it was just this rapid sort of experience of learn like gaining that whole new skill set and learning how to think programmatically and um, adding all of that expertise in um, – like onto what I really didn't have as like a software-related skill set before. Um, but ever since then, I've been thinking of that particular cycle where you absorb a ton of content and you're not actually building a whole lot. You're just kind of letting it marinate in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you periodically, um, if you have that kind of energy, you have to to, to express it back out somehow. Um, it, it started to evoke this analogy in my head um, that is, it, is really basic. Uh, it's just imagine that you have a sort of plate of waffles (laughs) or pancakes. I love waffles. I love where this is going. (laughs) So, yeah, you just imagine a nice, like, hot plate and you just slapped some fresh, steaming, uh, delicious crepes, waffles, pancakes on there. It's all buttery and delicious. Um, And, like, that is really the metaphorical equivalent to a new set of ideas or an awesome conversation that you had or a movie that you watched or book or whatever. It's just some new domain of thinking and inspiration. And the plate is your mind. It's it's where all of that, that influence gets stored. And over time, if you're stacking a bunch of those pancakes or whatever onto this plate, there is a point where uh, you really have to start consuming it and digesting it and actually doing something with it um, and kind of letting it back out into the environment around you or into whatever you're building. Um, it often... Feels like a good way to describe what happens when I ex- have exposed myself to too much um, influence. After a while, you start to kind of get overwhelmed. You've got you've had too many conversations, or in the tech industry it's here in Seattle, it's like you've been going to so many meetups and having so many conversations that you start to realize, oh my gosh, I'm just overwhelmed by ideas and new topics and things, and I realize I haven't even done anything. Interesting with any of this for the last couple months. Yeah. I need to stop absorbing so much and actually take time to digest. It's
1: like your plate of waffles is toppling over.
0: Yeah. It's just
4: too you need tall to, to, to stack.
1: Sit down, put some butter on that shit.
4: <laughs> now, why are why y'all are killing me? I just want to eat waffles now.
1: <laughs> I know. Sorry. I know.
4: I'm sorry <laughs> we, didn't ma- we didn't make breakfast. Oh, we
0: <laughs> Next time you're going to keep um, waffles in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's like you were talking about. It's like your, your mental cue. Um, gets empty after a while after you've been outputting a lot of material and you've been getting creative for a while and building things and you're like i just need to absorb i just need to like build up a new stack for a while and and marinate for a bit
1: yeah i'll take the analogy one step further it's Uh-oh. like at some oh, yeah. point you you gotta be like you're just working with egos, and and and, and, and wow. then at some point you gotta be like uh you have to be exposed to something like a Belgian waffle. Or like some yeah. other type of thing. Yeah, but you need to like stop and and I mean I know this is like. Butchering this analogy, <laughs> but um, but like get out there and try out all these other waffles mm-hmm. to be like, how can I uh, throw in the shade?
3: Yeah, at yeah, yeah.
4: Egg, we are not <laughs> getting corporate sponsors. <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, I Eggo love ego
1: Actually, I uh,
0: there is a time and place <laughs> for Ego blueberry like, waffle.
4: No,
1: this is not a backpedal. This is aggressive
0: <laughs> defense. Forward progress.
1: Yeah, I actually love Egos and I always have either Egos or any type of like frozen waffles. Sometimes <laughs> I get like the multigrain. I eat them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um but i still appreciate once in a while you know a different waffle or you waffle. need yeah, to yeah, yeah or like somebody else is gonna appreciate belgian waffle more than ego. i don't yeah. know who fuck those people no i'm kidding <laughs>
4: Clearly i getting mean, myself into game. trouble either
1: way i just want everyone to know that i'm not
2: trouble. So i'm not trouble. against
1: actually like any waffles i've never had a bad waffle
4: <laughs> <laughs> i have had a bad waffle really
0: yes freezer really? freezer burn Oh Bad it was waffles. just sitting in there too yeah, much. Do sounds
1: it. like you didn't put yeah. enough butter and syrup <laughs> on it because yeah. it's kinda like how can you even taste it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe that's like the, uh. the, the idea or conversation that you like take a small bite and you're like, oh, this isn't worth it. And yeah. then you're like, I'm not gonna yeah, yeah. not gonna take the time to yeah. ingest that. <laughs> Have you ever had uh liege waffles before? No. no. They're they're like the original, like actual Belgian waffles. It sounds familiar. They're not super thin. They're actually it you basically take a different kind of batter which you would normally use for kind of a like a brioche bread. Mm. So it, it becomes a lot more fibrous and, oh. and chewy. And you put <laughs> – so you're, like, putting My this – My
1: stomach is, like, <laughs> growling. <laughs> growling.
0: I know. We're going to have that in the audio. <laughs> so you take this, like, lump of nice, like, chewy, more fibrous, like, thicker dough, put it into the waffle iron after uh, kneading in little pearls of, like, cane sugar and things in there. Whoa. Yeah, Pearls? Pearls. Yeah, <laughs> like, they're, they're, like, chunks of this raw sugar. And you kind of knead it into there and get it nice and evenly distributed and then put it in your waffle iron, crush it down – And you end up with this waffle that is nice and fibrous and chewy on the inside and crisp. I want my waffles. Well, just go. It's like I'm okay with it. I'll
1: allow it. (laughs) It's like you
0: can you can like tear it apart and it doesn't Uh, it doesn't just rip on seams or anything. It's like there's it's like it's got some actual like meat to it. Bread quality and it also has those little chunks of melted sugar that end up melting around the outside of the waffle as well. So you get a coating like a crisp sort of outer shell. And like a steamy, delicious That's a new waffle inside. game right there. Yeah, Jay, you don't. You should do you an entire
3: podcast just describing the waffle <Just> podcast.
0: Descri-
3: <laughs> waffle it's like
1: cats. describing waffle <laughs>
0: waffle <cats. laughs> the waffle guy. <laughs> oh god!
1: Oh god! anyways yeah.
0: So spe- they're delicious. Yeah. <laughs> you Speaking don't need of waffles,
1: I'm just kidding. I'm, back. I'm, not, I'm not going Whoa. anywhere with that. No. Um, yeah, that's good. But okay, so uh, because we've so much to talk about, still so a little time. <laughs>
0: now um, that we've um, so waffled flipping, for a bit, flipping this
1: to the <laughs> other side because I feel like we're talking a lot about working in the industry, but mm. you guys create shit that mm. people, and you also consume stuff. All of what we're talking about, production yeah. and consumption. Yep. I guess, like going off of the theme of. Kind of bringing stuff to the masses and like creating this whole industry from scratch. What are the types of experiences that you guys? really like and want to see like some of some of your kind of dream ideas of what can be done with VR and what can be done with this kind of empathy that we're talking about
0: yeah like things you would want to see more experimentation and and exploring
1: right oh and if you can work it in Mike (laughs) I had a pin that I never got to get back to and Uh I wanted to hear so much about it which was how you like books like the empathy in books you think that's stronger than anything so see if you can like fold that into the waffle of your (laughs) Your (laughs) Your stack of waffles. Yeah.
4: (laughs) I have a very good way to do that. Oh
1: yes. Oh, I'm so happy. Hope you enjoyed part one of the Miko Mike show or Mike-o, the, the Mike-o, the the Mike-o Mike-o Miko. Show. Show. The Miko Miko show. But yeah, so we have, that's part one. We have part two coming up next. Um, but for now, we'll give you some info on how to follow our lovely guests. And so you can follow Miko on Twitter and or Twitch at Dr. Mika That Doctor is D-R,
2: Mikachu.
1: best I name it. ever, D-R-M-I-K-A-C-H-U. <laughs> uh, and also you can check out her company, Drifter, um, so I will plug this, and we talk about it in part two as well. So Drifter is the current VR game company she works for, and they have a new game that is coming out now. She mentions it uh, back when we recorded, and it's actually coming out very soon. I know. So this it's is called awesome. Lies Beneath, and I'll do the little like what they say on the website. It says. Lies Beneath is a single-player survival horror game with a heavy dose of action. Something's gone horribly wrong in the sleepy town of Slumber, Alaska. Now, returning college student May must fight to save her father and her sanity from the terrifying townsfolk and creepy creatures infecting her hometown. (laughs) How did I do? You would do a better job. That's it. We'll, we'll have Jade well, read that same thing in the, the outro one. for the next one. <laughs> uh, but so that game called Lies Beneath again, and you can go to driftervr.com to check out more. There's also, we link to that plus a YouTube video in our show notes, uh, more on that game, and that comes out on Quest March 31st and on the Rift April 14th. So. Uh, you and all your quarantined friends can
0: (laughs) can play a horror game that's
1: you know, because we don't we need more horror than what's already happening. We need more horror in our lives. Yes. That's all (laughs) I actually can't wait. So I actually side note think that uh, we should uh, videotape me playing that game because I think most of my Absolutely. friends know that I am the worst with horror experiences. We and should, so
0: we should jump on like Twitch or stream from VR. Yeah. Actually so we'll do something it. like that. We'll yep. keep you posted. Yep.
1: Uh, there are
0: things in the works. What else, Jay? Uh, so Mike, you can find him at www.luminousmachine.com. Mm-hmm. That is spelled the way that you would think luminous and then machine. We link com.
1: to it uh, in our yeah. show notes too. Yep.
0: You'll be able to find it there. Um, that was really the only thing that he, he wanted to highlight. Yeah, well, you can find his social
1: as... accounts there. He said he he doesn't he talks about more VR stuff on Facebook. If you want to try and connect with him on Facebook, uh, and on his other social accounts, he talks about other things. But as we've mentioned in the intro, he's like big. He's yeah. just a he's a great person to follow uh, to in, to like get inspired to volunteer. Go
0: find the things that he's made and worked on as well. Yeah, they're just awesome. Yeah, really interesting. Always working on cool projects. Yeah, um, then. You can follow us, of course, as always on realityquestpodcast.com uh, You can send us email there. We share links to multiple different platforms that our podcast is listed on and we also have links to our Ko-Fi, or coffee and Patreon accounts, where if you would like to support all of the awesome things that we enjoy doing and sharing with you uh, you can go there and do so. Uh, we are also on Instagram at realityquestpodcast and Twitter at reality underscore quest.
1: That's where you can see all of Jay's amazing art.
0: He, <laughs> he does. Also on the website. but
1: Right. Well, yeah. On yeah. all of those places, you can check out for every episode... Jay painstakingly <laughs> uh, <laughs> creates
0: <laughs> I mean it has definitely been a learning process for sure. But,
1: but it's cool. I, I get to look forward to it every time. The deal that Jay and I have is that I do the editing so far and he does the, the art and, and the, the we're a great team. Right. And, and the so write-up. yeah, the episode write up, that's right. So Jay's... You can check out all of Jay's amazing... um, His narrative and his narrative (laughs) skills and his art art skills. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Well... Yeah, and actually, you should follow us because we are... Brewing up some ideas about doing like meetups in VR and also Mm -hmm. things like streaming me playing horror games. And so, I've been
0: really pushing Kelly on this streaming live streaming. I know Jay is always just
1: really pushing me into my discomfort (laughs) zone, but (laughs) I mean, I'm uncomfortable with it
0: too. But I think that's why we should.
1: That's what Jay and I are all about because this whole thing is uncomfortable for us. Yes, so so you should follow us on all those things because then you'll get updates on what we're doing, like some links to those and and when to join those things.
0: So if you enjoy being uncomfortable with us as well, <laughs> you should stick around because episode or part 2 of our episode with Nico and Mike is coming up next.